This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information, the ideas, everything you need to lead your life in a healthier, happier way. Welcome to the program. We got a great show for you today. If you have ever gone to the doctor and uh, he pulls out his little calculator and a little slide rule chart and he's asking you your weight or he's found out your weight and your height and then he gives you a BMI number. Like my experience, like what's your height? Okay, yeah. your weight. Mm. Wow, you're fat. Yeah, uh, like doctor, yeah. that's rude. You're bordering on obese. Oh, that moment. That moment suffered by many of us. And here's the deal: um, they're they're messed up. They yes. think they know what they're doing. There are limits. They're using an instrument 200 years old that was never intended to be for what they're using it for. Now, the worst thing is when they pull it out at a party. I've had relatives pull out the BMI, body mass index, you know, numbers, uh, because they they just calculated it. But at a party? Uh Uh-huh. Why? Well, why wouldn't you? This will be fun. Well, it's like pulling out the fat calipers. (laughs) You're a monster. Here, let me me pinch an inch. Here we go. Uh, Take your shirt off, Matt. I'd like to... uh, Use my caliper. That doesn't seem like a uh, a party game. Oh yeah. By the way, the minute it came out, it's there. What it is is if you're doing well on the BMI, you're going to use that to oh, your yeah. advantage. Oh, look at me. Look at me. My IQ is this high, and my BMI is this low. <laughs> Messed up. So we're going to be speaking with a registered dietitian, talking about the body mass index. Why do they still use it? Other than you know, it's just a great party moment <laughs> messed up come on come on by the way it is uh black cat day happy black cat day to both of you i'm thinking this week might have every day might have a halloween sort of theme to whatever the day is i you know yesterday what? was howl at the moon today is black cat Ooh. tomorrow do, zombies do black cats bother you i don't know uh no cats do <laughs> just in general cats in general I had a friend from Spain. No, was, you didn't. He was a little bit superstitious. Stop bragging. So he he said he wasn't afraid of black cats, but he avoided them on the road. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Some other people from other countries, they're a lot more superstitious about the old black cat thing. Well, Spanish people are really superstitious. Is that apparently. what it was in Spain? Yeah. Um, yeah, Argentina, they had some stu- superstitions too. I was I was never afraid of a black cat. I was just afraid of it like a dog biting my leg. Right. That always freaked me out. Like, it didn't bother me when they were just a dog, but the minute they were, like, sinking their teeth into my Becoming leg. Becoming a chew toy, yes. That freaks me out. Understood. I don't even care what color they are. You can be a white dog. You can be a gray dog. The minute you're sinking your teeth into my leg, ugh, I got something weird about you. I was, I was bit by a dog without teeth, by the way. I you was gummed. Su- you were gummed by a dog. I was gummed by a dog. <laughs> and I hit him with sacred holy writ. I use my scriptures to defend myself against a dog with no teeth. 
that surprised me because I didn't think the dog would bite me, but he he didn't bite me. I didn't think he'd gum me, and he gummed me, and I got the biggest bruise in the shape of a bagel on my calf ever. So watch out. Black cats and gumless gumming dogs. Gumming dogs. They'll kill you every time. Dog dentures. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, Walmart apparently is going to be doing a little drone delivery. A little bit. Is that a good idea? I mean, we've already heard about, you know, Walmart truck accidents. I've heard people um, really concerned about Amazon and Walmart and these companies. What are they doing? They're just going to be flying these little airplanes through our neighborhoods, and that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, well, of course that doesn't make sense. Whatever they're going to do. We don't even they're, know. They're testing it right now. Amazon is in a field just over the border in Canada. Yeah, see, they go to Canada. Because Canada has better laws than here to let you test these things. Mm-hmm. And they're just running them around open fields. They're not in neighborhoods. They At some point, they'll figure it out. But they whatever, say in Silicon Valley, all the technology is there. Whatever the technology is needed, they'll figure it out or they can't run it through neighborhoods. The government yeah. won't let them because people could get hurt. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. So people are just – I hear – I, I, I read know. and people are really concerned. Have you ever concerned. heard of a nuclear uh, disaster? Yes. Those were pretty much approved by the government. <laughs> nuclear a, reactors. This is a drone. Oh, They're that... not going to fly it over roads. <laughs> right now, everything is line of sight. You can't fly a drone But eventually you know, you'll have to fly away. a drone off a road. The only people that fly drones 20 miles away are the government. They're on the other side of the planet, and it works. Someday we're going to find out what the technology is. Then we can all relax. Yeah. Well, no, we won't. We won't understand. It'll be magic. And it'll, it'll, it'll be magic. Us. Magic. Okay, speaking of magic, here's the deal. I just have to get this out right now because I'm a little frustrated with Hillary. I don't know if you remember this, but Bernie Sanders came to her defense in the debate and basically eliminated the whole idea about, I'm sick of your darn emails. Let's move on. Let's not talk about it. But then she went after him. Now, she's saying it's because um, she feels like he was claiming that she's been shouting that they need to stop gun control. Like it was Hillary that's shouting it. Okay? Like that she's the only one shouting it. So they got into a little issue, a little back and forth between the two campaigns. Listen to uh, Hillary's complaint here. I've been told to stop, and I quote, shouting about gun violence. Well, first of all, I'm not shouting. <laughs> it's just when women talk, some people think we're shouting. I don't know. When my wife talks about gun voice, she doesn't. I, see, I, I have nothing to compare this to. Okay, but Hillary... But she has a tendency to get loud. So, so what, what, she, what she just said there is basically if Bernie is saying stop shouting about it, yes. which his claim is, and we'll get to that, but his claim is I've been saying everyone's shouting about it. The president's shouting about it. Everybody's shouting yeah. about gun violence. And so it had nothing to do with Hillary. He said no. long before Hillary ever got in and gave her gun position... right. He's been talking about this and even using she, the word shouting. She's been criticized for shrieking. Yeah. For raising her voice to an octave that people are like, ugh. But she's pan- – this is now pandering because this yeah. is – this is now she's saying Bernie's sexist? Yeah. Well, she's trying to I know, drive a wedge. This is what people hate about politics. This is why Donald Trump is doing how well he's doing is because people are sick of this idea that because you use the word shouting that it's inferred that it's Hillary and – 
she, Bernie's now a sexist. You're a monster. <laughs> Listen to Bernie Sanders come back on that whole comment. I certainly do not have a problem with women speaking out. And I think what the secretary is doing there is taking words and misapplying them. What I was saying is if we are going to make some progress on dealing with these horrific massacres that we're seeing is that people have got to start all over this country talking to right. each other. It was not Hillary Clinton. You have some people who are shouting at other people all across this country. You know that. This nation is divided on this issue. Hmm. But she used that line, some people think when a woman speaks, she's shouting. She used that two or three times to, to major applause. But if, is that is that – and it didn't even seem genuine to her. So many people are – Frustrated because if is this what we're going to do? We're now going to turn it into a sexist battle. Now, there's no doubt a lot of women have been told that they're screeching, shouting, whining. Yeah, but she's using witchy. it to get people to yeah. rile up in support of her uh, when obviously he was talking about other things. I mean, especially of all people, Bernie Sanders. And it's Bernie. Bernard Sanders for crying out loud. He defended you. You're going to play that. You've already got him. You've already won. <laughs> Don't stick your boot on his neck for crying out loud. Anyway, it just here we go. Here we go. Uh, anyway, let's let's go to Terry in the headlines. Anything else going on around the world? Yes, quite a bit. Ben Carson surpassed Donald Trump and now narrowly leads the Republican field in the race for the nomination in the latest uh, national CBS New York Times polls. Twenty six percent of Republican primary voters back Carson giving him a four-point lead over Trump. Support for Carson has quadrupled since August. The rest of the Republican presidential candidates lag far behind in single digits. Trump has lost ground in every single demographic group. Here's Trump's reaction to recent polls. By the way, Carson is lower energy than Bush. I don't get it. I saw him being interviewed. He's lower energy than Bush. It's effective. Lower energy. Right there. Why is he... Talking energy, this isn't his energy initiative, is no. it? Lindsey Graham uh, is scratching his head over the relative success of his competitors in the presidential race. After all, he says, Marco Rubio is acting like a young man in a hurry. Donald Trump is struggling to construct coherent foreign policy. And Jeb Bush is, well, whiny. Graham was on MSNBC, says that uh, his conf- he's confused as to why candidates are beating him. Please. You got the two front runners on the Democratic side, right? Mm-hmm. The number two guy went to the Soviet Union on his honeymoon. Yes, he did. <laughs> and I don't think he ever came back. Uh, <laughs> well, the leader physically he did. felt that she was flat broke after her husband was president for eight years. Mm-hmm. On our side, you got the number two guy tried to kill somebody at 14. And the number one guy's high energy and crazy. How am I losing to these people? <laughs> wow. How am I losing? Well... Okay. That's great context. <laughs> he just he picks little background stories. Uh-huh. It's just, it was fun. Went to, apparently, Bernie Sanders went to the Soviet Union on his I did not bench. know that. Well, that's romantic, especially back in the day right. when it was like. He's an old guy. That's crazy. The Obama administration and Congress entering a crucial budget deal that would increase domestic spending and raise the federal borrowing limit over the next few years. The deal is far from certain, according to congressional aides, but it would avert an impending default on November 3rd. President Obama, for his part, 
has repeatedly said that he would not negotiate over raising the debt limit in the past. John Boehner has discussed uh, discussed his desire to clear major divisive hurdles before handing the reins over to Paul Ryan, the likely next Speaker of the House. So hopefully there will be an agreement in D.C. on something. Mm, doubt it. Positive news this morning. Sort of. I guess that's good. Yeah, excellent. Well, well done. Great news, I guess. And boy, we learned a lot about our political leaders. Uh, But it's true. What is going on with this world? Hey, coming up next, we are going to be talking about why the BMI is bogus. If you are tired of being told you are overweight because of a 200-year-old calculation that they're using to determine, you know, your height versus your weight, then uh, listen up for the next uh, few minutes. Andrea Ovard will be joining us. She's a registered dietitian, and uh, she is an expert in in, uh, nutrition and health She's going to be joining us and, and talking to us about BMI, uh, you know, the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs. And, for example, Tom Brady, overweight, tubby, tubby Brady. According to the BMI, he is overweight. Peyton Manning, overweight, tubby, tubby. Do you see those people as overweight? Well, I mean, they're not overweight. They just, you know, they're, they just have a lot of muscle and blah, 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 blah. Well, in the end, folks, uh, we're going to be talking BMI, maybe blowing it up, giving you some insight as to why they still use it up next. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Well, don't you know that other kids are starving in Japan? So eat it. Just eat it. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, since its introduction in the early 19th century, the BMI, Body Mass Index, has been used to determine the optimal weight based on an individual's height. 200 years old, folks. However, the man who introduced it uh, was named Lambert Adolphe Jacques Quetelet. He's French, I believe. I just massacred that. And he said it was never intended to be used as a means for indicating the level of, in quotes, fatness in an individual. In fact, the Belgian, oh, he's Belgian, mathematician created the system to measure the obesity of the general population as a way to assist the government in allocating resources. Now, some 200 years later, we are using it as a primary means of defining an individual's health. So why are we still using this outdated and inaccurate system? And what factors does it, uh, does it fail to account for? What can be done to help to improve this? Uh, joining us on the phone is Andrea Ovard, a registered dietitian. She graduated from BYU uh, many moons ago and is now um, currently working at the University of Utah Hospital as a clinical dietitian in the cardiac intensive care unit and medical units. She also writes a blog titled The Baking Dietitian. We've had her on before. She's a great guest. Uh, Andrea, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. Thank you for having me back. You bet. Great to have you back. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but uh, LeBron James, overweight. Yeah, I know. A lot of a lot of athletes are considered overweight. <laughs> tubby, tubby, tubby. By the way, this is interesting to me. Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, mm-hmm. he's obese. Yeah. 
Yeah, a lot. Not weird. <laughs> and now here's one: Serena Williams. She's yeah. normal weight. Uh-huh. I thought for sure she'd be overweight because yeah, she's so she's muscly. Pretty muscular. She reminds me of myself, by the way, Andrea. Yeah. <laughs> Ben's laughing. Ben's laughing at me. Um, so, what is the deal with the BMI? Like, it it bugs me. Yeah. Why are yeah. we using it? It's kind of complicated. So, like you kind of introduced it. You know, it was developed over 200 years ago. Um, used just. It was supposed to be just used for populations, not for individuals, but. It kind of caught on just as this easy way to kind of assess fatness in people. And right. so, you know, it was it was basically adopted by doctors and things because it was easy, it was cheap, it didn't take training. And so um, it just kind of caught on and they just continued to use it. Honestly, just mostly I think because it's just easy and quick and you don't have to train people and it's just kind of the, the most simple thing to do. Come on. People. I know. So not <laughs> ideal. Um there are definitely a lot of better ways to assess it, but those things take training, they take money. So this kind of has, I, I would say to an extent it has its use, but it gets very overused. Do, do you think it should be used at a party? Uh, no. Okay, good. Because you may as well, right, just pull out like fat calipers and just start squeezing people's fat and measuring fat. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But so, so we use it because it's easy, it's quick, but the scary thing is um, it, it's now a big part of legislation. It's a big part of how we get our health care. Mm-hmm. You have to fit certain traits. And, and I mean, you can be muscly and strong, right, and have right. very little fat, but be seen as obese. Yeah, well, and because muscle weight, I mean, I, I don't want to say muscle weighs more than fat. It does. It's it's more dense than fat. So mm-hmm. you can be, you know, the same size as somebody else and weigh a lot more because you have a lot more muscle. And so that can really throw things off. And insurance companies, um, you know, have been, been using this. And I know that's one big issue for people because your premiums can increase as much as 25 or 50 percent for being overweight or obese. And you may not even be obese. Yeah, for being considered that right via yeah, your BMI. So, so, and I remember they told me, well, based on my height, I think I need to weigh like 165 pounds. Uh huh. And I'm thinking, <laughs> right? Really low. Like, yeah. when did that happen? Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's and they've actually done studies as well. Um, I've I've heard a couple of people speak on this, and there still needs to be a lot of research done. But saying that actually being in the overweight category, not obese, but in the overweight category of BMI, may actually have some health benefits and may actually help. Hmm. Um, in situations like, I, I mean, I see patients in the hospital that are, that are critically ill, you know, and um, need those extra fat stores right. or those extra energy stores to to be able to get through a critical illness. That's so. why I that's why I keep storage. <laughs> Just in case. You never know when you're going to need yeah. to draw on your your food storage. Yeah. Um, when, when I think about it, too, I guess, I mean, your body, it seems like, would love you to be in the overweight category. Just just for survival, right? I mean, the, your body's designed to to not have the lowest body fat. It seems like your survival has always mean meant keeping as much fat on your body as possible. Right, and your body kind of wants to have those extra stores, and there's there's something called like a set point, and um, that's why it's so hard to lose weight, especially when you get down to where you're, you know, kind of in a more normal weight range and not mm-hmm. obese. Um, it's hard to lose weight because your body does want to hang on to that because it it wants the extra stores because, like you said, you really do never you never know when you're going to need those. So. Is, is that you call that your set point? Every human yeah. has a set point. Yeah, so bodies kind of have like a set point where they're sort of comfortable, and everybody's is a little different. Some people, you know, for being the same height 
appetite may be a little higher than other people's and it's just kind of where your body and that's usually when people start to lose weight where they start to have difficulties when they mm. kind of reach their set point you can get below that but it's just it's more difficult because that's kind of just where your body's comfortable so so why would we um why would we put together a, a BMI or keep using a BMI if we know that everybody's different our metabolism's different our our family history's different all of these things are different wouldn't it make sense that we have – I mean, maybe you use the BMI, but then you actually have another score that that takes into account everything else. Right, and I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that, you know, I, I mean, I use BMI in the hospital. I do, but it's more as just a screening tool, and then I do a much more in-depth assessment. So I think, it, it like I said, it has its place in that it can be helpful to just kind of give you a general overview overview, you know, to kind of take into account. If I see that somebody has a BMI of like 15, I'm going to assume that they they probably, you know, something's going on that they're very thin or vice versa if they have like a BMI of 45. But that doesn't, that's not an end all, you know, there's yeah. still a lot more that goes into it. So I think it can be a helpful screening tool, but it gets overused in that we just kind of use it as a cut and dry number, which it shouldn't be used as. Well, and it seems like too, um, when you walk in to see a new patient, I would bet just by your gut, uh, no pun intended, but by your gut, I bet you could just sense if they are overweight, Mm -hmm. underweight, or obese. Right, yeah. And I mean, even just by looking at somebody, you know, there's... So you've got the number in your head. Right, yeah. So it's like you can see somebody's weight, but then you go in, and I've had that happen many times where I see somebody's weight and BMI, and they go in, and and it's a completely different situation than what I thought because maybe they are a bodybuilder, or maybe they, you know, there's different things. So wow. Okay. So so just walk us through the BMI. So um, there's a range of, and teach us the range of numbers, and at what point are you on what chart? Right. Okay. So. To get your BMI, you calculate um, your kilograms or, well, there's two ways you can calculate it. So metrically, your kilograms divided by your centimeters squared, so your weight divided by your height. Um, You can also do it with pounds divided by inches squared and then times that by 703, but that's how you get the number. And then there's kind of four main categories. So if you have a BMI of under 18.5, you're considered underweight. And then if you have a BMI of 18.5 to 24.9, you're considered in the normal weight range. And then 25 to 29.9 is the overweight range. And then if you have a BMI of over 30, you're considered obese. Um, And then they have different ranges for obesity, like morbid obesity or stage 1 or stage 2, but basically Mm. over 30. So So over 30 is obese and... Mm -hmm. Um, and then I guess that's the point where you just know you're going to die. <laughs> that, that's kind of how people sometimes tend to take it. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the, I know they're just, it's a metric, right? It's a metric, but it's, right. I, I don't know. I guess it's a metric that, that, that we then chart and it makes us feel good. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily tell us what's going on. Right, and there's so many other factors as far as, you know, I mean, different things can affect it. Gender affects it, um, age affects it, um, race, you know, all these different things. And the biggest thing is just what is your body composition? Hmm. What You know, how much of it is fat and where is the fat distributed? Because that also affects things. And, and I guess, too, gender, I guess, is um, is it the exact same scale? It is, and that's one, that's probably one of the things that bothers me the most. Um, and actually, when they came up with BMI, like when it was 
created. Um, it was created from research on male populations only, <laughs> but we still use it for women. And obviously, you know, men in general tend to be bigger or and right. have more muscle. And so the fact that we use the same scale for both, that really doesn't make sense to me at all. Well, so. it, especially because we can now, I mean, it used to be if you had a brain tumor, you were dead. And yeah. now we can go in through your arteries in your neck and remove tumors or place mm-hmm. all of these radiation beads or whatever in a brain. But we can't figure out a BMI index th- that that works for a woman. Better. Yeah, exactly. We should be able to do that, you would think. <laughs> Heavens. So. It's just, I don't know. It's just. I, what it is is it we think it works. Yeah, and it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but um, it doesn't make a lot of sense until you use it. Yeah, if, if all of a sudden it's being used against me to jack up my uh, my payments in my insurance mm-hmm. by twenty five percent. Exactly, and I mean they there is a lot of research that says you know especially once you get into the like morbid obesity range, the, yeah. the higher weight that you have, of course you're probably going to have some higher health risks. But I think especially in that overweight and like early obese range, there's just so much variance there mm-hmm. um, that we shouldn't use it as you know as cut and dry as we do. Well, you you made a great point that it depends where the weight is, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, you know they've they've done tons of research and studies to find that. Um, visceral fat or the like the belly fat that people have mm-hmm. and unfortunately a lot of that is just genetics um, yeah but or twinkies yeah or twinkies probably a combination yeah. of both um, but yeah the more fat that you have in your belly area your abdominal area um, that's kind of the more dangerous or the more risky fat to have oh, great. So, yeah so women you know tend to carry in general their their weight more in their hips and men tend to carry it more in their in their abdominal area yeah. but that fat is you know, so that's a big thing, too. And I think um, there are other ways to kind of measure. One of the easier ways, that I think, to use along with BMI or, or kind of in place of it um, is waist circumference. And you can measure that. And that's, you know, they have cutoffs for that. If a woman has a waist circumference over 35 inches or a man over 40 inches, that can tell you a lot about your mm. risk for disease. Um, and I think that's better just because that's showing, you know, that's, first of all, where the the bad fat, I guess you could say, is, and then also, if you're really muscular, it's probably, you're not going to have, like, a huge stomach, likely, you know, it's not really where you tend to build muscle, so I think it's a little bit better measure in that way. So, waist circumference, for a man, if it's over 40 inches, if if for a female, if it's over 35 inches, then then you really got to worry about it. Then you're at a high risk for disease, like diabetes and heart disease. What if you carry all of your fat in your neck? You got a lot of neck fat. Is I haven't that... really seen okay. that much. You generally, yeah. it seems like if people have a lot of neck fat, they probably carry other places <laughs> yeah. too. But I'm not sure there's been no. Much that's not me. I'm trim. I'm fit as a fiddle everywhere yeah. below my collarbones, except for in the neck. Isn't that crazy? Um, how about chin fat? I guess that's bad too. Yeah, probably. Probably, you know, and it it tends to be distributed throughout, but generally people tend to kind of carry it more in their stomach or their hips or different Mm. things. Man, you're helping us. Let's do this, Andrea. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Andrea Ovard um, about BMI and other ways that might be healthier, better ways to track your own health, your own weight. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. And uh, hey, while you get a chance, go check out The Baking Dietitian. That's her blog. Google that. The Baking Dietitian, she'll give you great ideas, recipes, tools to have a healthier life. More with Andrea Ovard and your fat potential right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Moving to the 
country I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches I'm moving to the country I'm gonna eat me a lot of peaches Amen, brother I'm moving to the country I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show You know, one way to combat BMI Move to the country Eat a lot of peaches That's one of Ben's favorite songs right there Um we are learning about Body Mass Index, a 200-year-old tool designed to torture you about your weight. And uh, it's used by hospitals, doctors. It is one, apparently, just one of many ways that you can evaluate your health. And, um, you know, sure, the doctors are going to use it. The healthcare organizations might choose to use it. But our guest today, Andrea Ovard, uh, is going to be teaching us some other ways we could and should be managing our health. One thing you might want to focus on, she's already taught us, is where you're carrying the weight, right? So more fat in your belly, your gut region, probably is going to be a sign of other potential problems. Um She's uh, she's here, doctor or not, Doctor Andrea Ovard is a dietitian, a registered dietitian, works in the um, intensive care unit at the University of Utah cardiovascular uh, unit up there, and is also um, you also known as the baking dietitian. So if you blog and like blogging and are into blogging, that's a blog you're going to want to follow. Go look up the baking dietitian where she focuses on sharing healthy recipes, workouts, nutrition, health, fitness tips for her readers. And Andrea Ovard is here to help us, uh, you know, lose the anger. <laughs> yeah. So, Andrea, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. So tell me about um, some other ways other than just uh, BMI. You, you use other tools as well to evaluate a person's health and yeah. their fat yeah, content. so we talked about the waist circumference. That's a good kind of really quick and easy way as well. Um, the other thing that's kind of related to that is waist-to-hip ratio. So you can actually measure your waist circumference and your hip circumference and then um, calculate those, you know, divide your waist by your hip um, ratio, or circumference and get a ratio. And that number can actually tell you a lot about your risk as well. They have, you know, cutoffs for that hmm. as far as... Um, what's healthy and what puts you at risk for and those are and the good thing about both of these is they're actually differentiated between there's different scales for men and women yeah. which like we said there isn't for BMI so it, it takes that into account which is important i mean it's almost like um a woman's health doesn't matter yeah we're just using the man's <laughs> scale for all the women too, it's so, so crazy to me cuz we are we are all so different that yeah anyway yeah. um so the waist to hip ratio sounds like a great way to do it. What other what other things do you use at the hospital? Um, so we, I mean, we have, obviously have access to like more technology. So we have, you know, we can have scales that measure kind of body fat percent, and then um, there are calipers that you use um, where you, you know, pinch different oh, areas yeah. of the body to see how many inches or how much fat is there. Um, the reason that they don't use those as often is because it does take more training and more time and things like that. And you do have to be trained because that can be hard as well to, you know, see how much if you're really measuring it correctly. Right. As far as the skinful calipers, and there are things um, we don't really do this because we don't have access to it as much, but there are like DEXA scans and, you know, different like MRAs and things that can actually measure how much fat and and the distribution of it as well. Um, But that does take a lot more effort and a lot more time and money. That's what you notice is as you go down the list, technology increases. So I'm Mm -hmm. assuming costs increase. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there are ways to measure it really effectively and really find out, but it does 
cost a lot more and take take more technology. Well, or you just fall back to the 200-year-old <laughs> or model. Or you just use that. Yeah, and I think the best way is to just get, you know, use different aspects. Um, one of the things that I tell people uh, that I work with clients that are trying to lose weight and things like that is you can't just use the scale. It's it's similar to BMI, you know, just because you're not losing a ton of weight in right. pounds doesn't mean that you're not getting healthier. You know, that's why I like people to measure um, their waist, measure their arms, measure their, like, you know, their circumference of things to see are there actually changes going on because you may only lose five pounds, but maybe you lose a couple inches off your waist mm-hmm. because you're actually gaining some muscle. So is it, are there some people that it kind of, no matter what they do, they're just going to carry a little fat? Yeah, and honestly, you need fat. You know, your yeah. body needs fat. We I mean, I guess fat. carry a lot of women. fat. Yeah, women carry more fat than men do um, by by a fairly significant amount just because our bodies, you know, there's essential fat that we need. And if you get to too low of a body fat, um, your body, especially for women, will stop doing things that, it, you know, mm. natural things that you need that you need for your health. Right. So it so, can be dangerous. So as a dietitian, I'm, ima- I'm imagining that you, you probably – have to kind of talk people off the ledge when it comes to they're devastated because their doctor just said they're obese. Right, yeah. Um, And then there's other people that you need to talk to eat a little bit more because they're in an unhealthy level of low fat. Yeah, and you you definitely have to find that balance. I do. People tend to just put a lot of um, weight weight into yeah. um, BMI, and you know people just take it as oh well, I'm in this BMI range, so I'm overweight, or I'm in this BMI range, so I'm underweight, and that can definitely be inaccurate. I mean, there are people that could be in a normal, you know, considered normal BMI range, and I don't know if you've heard the term skinny fat, but basically yeah. somebody who's you know small, but it's a lot of fat. So you could actually be in a normal range. It could be vice versa. You know, not not just that you're actually healthy and in an overweight range, but you could be in the normal range and actually be unhealthy yeah. because, you know, a lot of it is fat and you're not working out and eating healthy and things. So, What do we do? Um, so I guess part of it is make sure we're, we're measuring more than one way, mm-hmm. not just BMI. Also notice where we're gaining the weight. Is it true that you can actually, can you target? So if somebody wants to lose gut fat, belly fat, can they target belly fat? Or can you actually target it or do you just have to lose fat in general? It's really just losing fat in general. I mean, it's it's hard to really say that you can target where you're losing weight. That doesn't really work. And I see things, you know, all the time yeah. on the internet of how to burn belly fat and things like that. It doesn't really work. I mean, really, you just have to lose fat and it, it will come off, you know, it'll distribute distribute itself um, as you're losing weight. But, and you know, wherever you have the most weight to lose is usually where it will come off. So if you tend to gain weight in your stomach, that's probably where it'll tend to kind of come off first. Mm. So. As a nutritionist, I'm assuming a lot of your work and a dietitian, I'm assuming a lot of your work is about weight loss. It is, yeah. I mean, that's usually what people are interested in. You know, I work in the ICU, so I do a lot of other things. But I do even, you know, on the medical unit where people are a little bit healthier and not not ventilated, um, I yeah. do get a lot of questions. Even if I come in to talk to them about, you know, a cardiac diet or something, a lot of people want to know about, well, how do I lose weight and and things like that. So. And so if somebody was just given the bad news that their BMI is, they're pushing obese, um, and you sat down with them, let's just say they're kind of an average person in the medical unit, mm-hmm. um, maybe bordering, I, I've had family members bordering on type 2 diabetes. Yeah. What would, you, what would you say, where would they start? We measure you, we maybe do a mm-hmm. waist circumference, waist to hip, body fat percentage. What do we, where did we then go? 
Yeah, so then I think it would just, you know, as we kind of find out where we're starting from and maybe, you know, where where their health is by figuring out how they've been eating and exercising and things like that and what their risk factors are as far as disease. And then I would just start slowly with, you know, basic kind of like healthy eating regimen and, you know, talking about eating more healthy fats and eating, you know, more lean meats and really like, you know, the my plate method and eating more vegetables and just kind of cutting down on calories a little bit if they need to and then exercise exercising is a huge one. Hmm. Um, so just kind of starting with a basic healthy eating plan and slowly getting into that and slowly starting to lose weight, you know, and, and there's, you know, if you cut out, you know, 3,500 calories a week, then you can lose it. You know, I tell people slow weight loss is best. So, um, the recommendation is about one to two pounds a week. So you don't want to jump into it and try to fix it all in, you know, a month, but how many calories does somebody need? The average person would need how many calories, Mel? How many calories for a female? Right. It's, I mean, it's kind of hard because it's based so much on your weight and everything. But on average, around 2,000 is kind of a maintenance. Um, and then to lose weight, you never want to go below 1,200. That's like the bare minimum of what you would want to do. But generally, I would say, you know, somebody trying to lose weight, probably going to be somewhere between fifteen to 1,800 calories a day. Because hmm. so. I found the minute I actually track calories, I lose weight. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. I think it's because right, I'm using yeah. all of my brain power to track my calories. Yeah, exactly. I forgot to eat. Energy. And and I think it does help to kind of know where you're at and, you know, because a lot of times we don't even realize how many calories we're eating and things. So I'll tell people, you know, even I, I don't think you necessarily have to track it forever, but if you just track it for like three or five days or something, just to kind of get an idea yeah. of, okay, well, how much am I eating and where are my calories coming from? That can give you an idea of where you need to make changes. That's huge. Huge. Yeah. Um, anything else we need to know, Andrea? If you if you thought of one thing that uh, so let's say your mom goes in to the doctor. The doctor says she's overweight on the BMI. She calls you upset. What would you say to her? Um, I would honestly just talk to her about you know I think just starting um, slow. Just you know what what's I I tell people what is one or two changes that you can make that will make you healthier. You know could you maybe swap what you're having for breakfast for something healthier? Could you maybe start walking a couple miles a day? Just you know because people tend to freak out and get overwhelmed. Um, and I think if you can just take one, you know, I would say what is one thing, and it's so individualized because everybody has different habits and different things they need to change, but I would just say, you know, look at your eating patterns and your your exercise and what is one or two things that you can, that we can make a healthier change. You know, is there something we can cut out of what you're eating or, you know, some time that we could add in some extra exercise or yeah. something like that. Oh, man, great advice. Well, Andrea, we appreciate you and uh, keep up the good work. And if you do what you can to uh, – Get the doctors to quit using BMI. Uh, We'd appreciate it. I can do. I work with a lot of doctors, <laughs> so we'll, we'll get on that. Yeah, just tell them the people no longer want that. All right. Sounds good. Andrea, thank you so much. Again, Andrea Ovard. Go to her website, bakingdietitian.com, and uh, you can get all the information about how to eat healthier. She's got wonderful recipes on there as well. And you can go read about her project. She just went to Nepal, just got back from a Nepal trip, and where I think she went there and tested the BMI of all of the Nepalese people. I hope not. Anyway. They were all morbidly obese. They were all, yeah. They were all doing great, I'm sure. Um, We'll take a break, my friends. Come back. Do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's interesting because certain numbers seem to matter more to people, right? Uh, BMI might matter to your doctor, and in your head, it doesn't even explain you. But it's a ratio. I mean, it's a number. That's all they're looking for. They've got a number. But there are some other numbers you might also want to make sure you're paying attention to, right? Like, uh, how about just the average or the amount of sleep you get? Do you think you ought to worry about that? Do you... I mean, BMI is one number, but are you getting your eight hours? Apparently, you're supposed to get eight eight hours of sleep. That's like the golden number. Eight hours of sleep. (laughs) Not happening. Not happening. Do you – another number that uh, seems to be fairly important is how about screen time? Apparently, according to a study um, that was in – on the Huffington Post in the Healthy Living section – uh, an article by Kate Breitskier basically said that on average, uh, a person stares at a screen a whopping 11 hours a day. So if you work around a computer and then you go home to your television and then you're on your phone, and if I look at Ben here who's around like four or five monitors, um, you know, it makes sense why he's so messed up. But – if you're spending 11 hours looking at a screen every day, no wonder we're unhealthy, right? Uh, another number, um, so sleep is important. Um, how about just your calorie intake? That might be a really important number to find. How about smiling? Would that be an important number? On average, a person smiles 20 times a day, which is amazing. So think of your numbers. Do you smile more than that or less than that? Ben, because he works on the show, smiles at least 450 times a day. It's outrageous. But it makes him look a lot younger than he really is. Think of your own numbers. What are some other numbers that you know matter to you? Um, When I was a consultant, I'd travel around, go to companies, and we would help them establish what we called KPIs. Okay, A KPI is a key performance indicator. It is of all the numbers you need to know you hit, what are the top three or four that make the biggest difference to your life? It could be your BMI number. I'm going to bet it's not. It might be how much time you spend as a family. You might know that if you spend 30 minutes a day as a family talking, that it has incredibly powerful results in your life. A key performance indicator might be 30 to 45 minutes a day of talk as a family. Now, you might have more than that. You might need more than that. But you might know, at the very least, I need 45 minutes with my family. Are you getting that number? How about couple time? I always teach my couples they should have a half hour of cuddle time every day. Half hour of cuddle time. Now, some people hate cuddle time. And some people love cuddle time. And some people hate cuddle time because it always has to go somewhere. But it doesn't. Cuddle time. You just cuddle. We shouldn't gripe about problems. We shouldn't be groping for more. We should just cuddle. And if you cuddle, it keeps chemistry flowing. That might be another metric you want in your key performance indicators. Another one might be simply some time spiritually. Do you need a half hour of time in your faith or meditating or praying or reading scriptures, it's another indicator. 
By the way, all indicators that might be more important than your BMI. So when you go to the doctor and they pull out one indicator to supposedly describe who you are, you might want to look at the other indicators of your life. How about your gratitude? Are you able to see five things a day that you're grateful for? Do you point it out? How about a positivity scale? Every time I talk to my kids, I ask them on a scale from one to 10, how was their day? I want a number. And um, the average number we get is seven. It's kind of a joke around our house. So what are the numbers that matter to you? And you don't have to be offended when somebody tells you your one number that you don't even pay attention to doesn't matter. You could listen and see what you can do about it. But I'd, I'd pay attention to a bunch of other numbers. And more importantly, you got to know what your numbers are. What are your key performance indicators that you know if you hit these numbers every day, you know you're going to be healthier, happier, and, uh, and lead a better life? Remember, that's the reason we do the show, to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. We can't do the show without you. So we appreciate you listening. If you want to, to go find the podcast, go to TuneIn or iTunes or just go to BYURadio.org. You can live stream it. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. More tools, more ideas to help you find the good in the world. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information you need to grow a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception. We'll be speaking with uh, Brad Barton and uh, be talking about uh, magic. Magic, uh, moving beyond illusion. A lot of us, um, a lot of us, are a little delusional in our lives. You know, we think we might be more than we really are, and maybe the delusions are keeping us stuck. We might believe we can't do something when we really can do something. And how do we cut through that? How do we kind of lose the magic but then find the magic of creating our own life, a powerful life, an empowered life? Stick with us. We're going to be talking about that in just a few moments with Brad Barton. But before we do that, speaking of uh, not living in delusion, we got a great story about a New York man. A New York man is building his own sovereign nation called Zagistan. Zach Landsberg has created a yellow and red flag. He has then placed his flag on a four-acre piece of land in Utah and is now creating his own sovereign nation. The conceptual goal is what I want. Really, honestly, the conceptual goal is to become a real country, says Landsberg. By the way, Zach Landsberg is the founder of Zagistan. He's like, look, I mean, I mean, I know the goal's not going to happen. It's impossible. But, you know, I'm going through the motions. I'm going to try to make it happen. His goal and his motto, by the way, the motto for Zakistan, something from nothing. Ben's even saluting him with his hand over his belly button. 
when he bought the sagebrush-covered stretch of the Utah backcountry a decade ago, this, uh, he started the beginning of the wonderful country of Zakistan, 60 miles from the nearest town, 15 um, miles away from a paved road in Box Elder County, which for many of you, you may not know this, that's where Promontory Point is near there, Utah, which is where the east and the west met and combined the railroad from the east to the west. So Zach at Zakistan has some transportation nearby. Maybe a train. A train within 100 miles <laughs> of his location. He, he also is leery about giving the, the directions to Zakistan because he doesn't want people to come out here looking for it and then get lost in the open sagebrush. That's how people die. Folks. That's courteous. Yeah. Somebody asked, do you pay taxes? Uh, he says he does pay tributes to the greater country of the United States of America. Tributes. Tributes. He, he doesn't like to call them a tax. It's a tribute. You know, just like America helps out other countries. We give tributes to other countries. They're not taxes. He gives a tribute to, the, to America. So when he needs to, he can drive on that road. That's 60 miles from his home. He's got a four-acre little piece of property. So it would be smaller than the Vatican. How many miles or acres is the Vatican? Not sure. It's got to be bigger than four acres. A little bit. They got a couple Brand, pal- palaces, ben, mm-hmm. old churches, whichever. Ben's looking it up. Anyway, so if if you feel a need. <laughs> to go find Zakistan? To find Zakistan? 109 acres. Oh, 109 wow. acres, yeah. See, so there, it's 105 acres bigger than Zakistan. <laughs> Do you think he has like a, a little uh, trailer house and his flag? <laughs> you mean the royal... The royal residence. The royal palace. Yeah, I'm sure he does. It's like a Winnebago just out there in the desert. <laughs> Can't you just see that yellow and red flag just whipping in the wind out there? Do you think there's anything of, uh, I don't know, interest out there other than tumbleweeds and dirt? No. Hmm. Well, there's Zach. Well, there's Zach. I mean, he's super interesting. Well, the great leader. The great, His Excellency, Zach. His, ex- his great excellency, Zach Landsberg. But, I mean, you got to give the guy some kudos. He's not, living, he's not living in illusion anymore. He wanted his own country, sovereign. Okay. He couldn't find can, it. Can you just declare your own sovereign nation? Oh, yeah. My kids did it with their bedroom. It's their room. It's off limits to other people. Well, sovereign. That's not really the, the same thing. Well, tell my kid that. Can, it's like he annexed four acres of a of the state, yeah, within the United States, and called it his own country. But the funny thing about it is, I think if you annex a part of the world that nobody wants, you can have it. No one's going <laughs> to fight you for it. I mean, he might fight a gopher. Whatever. Can he like? Do you think he can drill on his own property that way? Well, he can until they find out. Okay. I think a lot of this is he's saying a bunch of words. That don't really have any legal meaning. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, aren't we all? That's the delusion of life. <laughs> like, we all think we own a house until they need it. Well, I don't own it. The the bank well, yeah. owns it. I'm mm-hmm. just paying the bank. But once you've paid it all off, then you think it's yours. And then, you know. It's like my phone. Until Donald Trump needs a new casino. I'm always like, this is my phone. But yeah. now phone. I'm leasing the phone. Yeah. It's yeah. not mine. It's really not yours. 
That's what why we're going to be speaking with Brad Barton in a few minutes, uh, moving beyond illusion. He's going to help us find ourselves <laughs> and really tr- try to figure out how we can get if you know a little more into what's real about ourselves, our own lives, and move towards real goals that we might not think are even possible. Not like not like a sovereign nation. That's different. But like you becoming, you know, whatever, getting a job, getting a degree you never thought you could get, breaking some of those illusions that you never thought you could get beyond. We'll get to that. But before we do that, let's go to Terry South, find out what's going on in the headlines around the world. Thanks, Matt. Ben Carson on a roll in Iowa last week. A Quinnipiac poll showed him surging to an eight-point lead over Donald Trump in Iowa, 28 to 20. Over the weekend, a new Monmouth University poll gives Carson his widest margin yet, 32 to 18. And a new CBS New York Times poll has Carson over Trump nationally for the first time. Trump was asked about all these polls. Donald Trump has fallen to second place behind Ben Carson. We informed Ben, but he was sleeping. He's low energy, right? Do you get it? Yeah, he's low energy. So instead of addressing the issue, he makes fun of the (laughs) other guy. Uh, Trump said he doesn't believe most of these polls because the pollsters don't like him. But hold if, on. He was believing the polls when he was leading. Yes. That's when that's when they liked him. Apparently. Now they don't like now him. Now they don't like him. So. Okay. Former President George W. Bush on Monday expressed confidence in his younger brother's drive to win the White House despite sinking poll numbers and a retooled strategy that has the campaign relocating, reallocating resources and slashing budgets. It's one reason Jeb is going to win, because he is a fierce competitor, the former president told a crowd of his brother's donors and supporters gathered at a closed-door meeting in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Officials at Spring Valley High School in Columbia, South Carolina, confirmed Monday that a confrontation took place between a female student and a school resource officer who was captured on video flipping the teen over in her chair and dragging her across the classroom. Have you seen this video? I haven't. It's, I mean, I saw the picture of it, but I haven't seen the It's a little video. crazy. It seems like he, the resource officer went a step too far. He grabs the front of this desk, flips her to the ground in the desk, drags her across the room out of the desk, slams her to the ground, cuffs her, and then I imagine takes her out of the room. All the while, this entire classroom of students just sits there like, oh my gosh, what's happening? See you, Stacy. The Richland County Sheriff's Department Uh. spokesperson said the female student and a male student were both arrested for disturbing the peace. The officer identified by the department as Ben Fields has been placed on administrative leave. Hmm. It was a good body slam, though. Man. Well executed. A Navy destroyer, the USS Lassen, will sail within 12 nautical miles of the artificial islands in the South China Sea to challenge China's territorial and maritime claims to the water, a senior U.S. defense official said on Monday. The Lassen could make its way through the reefs as early as uh, this morning, making it the first time a Navy warship has sailed within the the territorial limit claimed by China for six reefs and shoals that has been building up uh, into islands. They've been uh, dredging up... Uh, the, the the dirt and the sand yeah. up, and then they 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 put a bunch of cement over the top of it, and they're making air bases and landing strips. New this morning, the Chinese government has asked for a meeting with the U.S. ambassador to discuss this whole issue. Ah, oh, this is getting so they intense. can figure this out. Huh. A, a California town of about ten thousand people is authorized giving its twenty police officers nunchucks in an effort to limit injuries to police officers and the people they are arresting. Hold it. I I was more injured by nunchucks growing up than almost any other thing. Yes. 
Mainly because every kid, yeah, every kid makes their own. And, yeah. and then you don't have a clue how to use them. And then you hit yourself with them. It gives us the ability to control a suspect instead of striking them, the officer said. Training manuals for the tools show police using them to subdue suspects, even though Bruce, even though Bruce Lee martial art flicks popularize them as weapons. They feel that they, the, these are uh, a useful law enforcement tool. Hmm. It sounds kind of like that. So we're, they're ninjas, really. Well, no, they're cops with nightsticks with a chain attached in the middle. But I mean, they, they've learned to use the nightstick, the enforcer. Yes. And now they're going to just have two nightsticks with a chain attached. Or some sort of nylon rope or something. But <laughs> yeah, nunchucks. They're going to, okay. yeah. Hey, hey. And Whatever. you know these guys are going to sit there and try to do the whole yeah. uh, uh, around ha, the shoulder, yeah. around your body, and just whack themselves in the head. Right. And, yeah. and then he's out, and then 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 someone's got your gun. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, cops have nunchucks okay. now. Well, Watch all out. All right. Um, good. Protecting the peace. And breaking something in the way, on the way there. Hey, in just a few minutes, we're going to be speaking with Brad Barton, who is um, – he's a magician, but he also is a, a speaker and a nationally renowned speaker – but uh, he's going to be teaching us how we can use our power of perception to uh, actually get a better view of who we are, figure out what we need to become in our own lives. Instead of just like being handed our identity from what everybody else are saying about us, what if we could get into seeing who we really are and go discover our own magic? Uh, interesting stuff. We're going to take a break, come back more here uh, with Brad Barton about finding your magic right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you love magic shows? Magic is all about perception and what you see and what you don't create delightful illusions. And with the Harry Potter generation, many a 12-year-old kid waited dutifully for their letter to Hogwarts, only to disappointingly find out that they were muggles. Our very own Ben is a muggles. A muggles, I guess, is a non which, but that still goes to Hogwarts? No, it's just a non-magic fellow. Magicless. Yeah. yeah that explains it. Uh, ben is magicless. Our guest today, however, is a professional keynote speaker and also a magician, but has a great history and, um, and expertise. He's been an NCAA academic and athletic All-American. And as president of the National Speakers Association, Mountain West Chapter, he joins us today, Brad Barton, to uh, talk about magic and uh, how we can find the magic that's inside of each one of us. Brad, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, buddy. Thank you, Matt. I hear you have a cold. You're gonna have to, yeah. You're gonna have to forgive my my groggy voice here. I've got a bit of influenza. Ooh, so. sounds like you're going through the change. <laughs> I'm changing something here. I'm <laughs> getting close to my mute button, so if you hear me tune out, yeah. it's because I'm hacking away. Hey, you know what? This I've been doing it. Illusion, Matt. I know it's all right. I think I probably got you sick last time we spoke. Um, <laughs> I I've had the same kind of influenza thing going around. So just hang with us. If 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 all of a sudden we ask a question and you're not there, <laughs> we'll wait a few more seconds and then we'll just know we lost you. 
Hey, I'm excited to be here this morning talking about illusions and how to stay pa- get past them. Yeah, because that's the thing is uh, how we think about our lives, ourself, a lot of that, that's the illusion you're talking about, right? We all just have these set ways of thinking that maybe we can't do certain things or, you know, we're not good at something. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, I, I actually, um, like you said, make my living now uh, speaking for corporations and associations and all kinds of cool things. But um, I started in the youth speaking industry. I worked for Weber Human Services as a, as a drug prevention specialist. Hmm. You can imagine how cool that would be. Yeah. You know, just uh, training teachers and uh, teaching kids how to stay off, you know, make great, great choices and stay away from bad things. And, and, um, I, I, about five years into that relationship with Weber Human Services here in, in northern Utah, I know your your viewers and your listeners are everywhere in the in the planet, but um, I, I started using magic. I saw a keynote speaker use one illusion in a speech, and I remember thinking for 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 weeks afterwards. I remember the four steps of goal setting that he taught, hmm. and the way my brain works, you know, that just that just really fired me up. So I went down to a magic shop, um, a show place. Magic, novelty, and magic at a crossroads mall. If you can imagine, yeah. not even there anymore. And um, and I walked out sixteen ninety five later, and and I was uh, and I was a magician. And I, I thought it was a cool gimmick at first, but it turned out to be an amazing metaphor because it cuts both ways. I can talk about the magic of you know the, the great choices we can make. I can also talk about the dangerous and destructive illusions that we get sucked into. Mm. And so it's a really pretty powerful metaphor. What what are some of the um, illusions we get sucked into? And um, because whether our youth or for us as adults that we carry these illusions forward, what are the what are some of the biggest traps we get caught in? Well, well, there's a lot of ways we can go with that. Um, one one thing maybe to chat about is what psychologists, you psychologists, I think you're, you're PhD. Yeah, in human development. So don't call me a psychologist. Okay, so, so sorry, so sorry. <laughs> Jeez, well, watch you, it, Brown. You, you recognize the, the term automatic thinking. Yeah. I think that's, uh, what is that, cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I call them defaults when I'm talking from stage, and it's just where you, you take the, the stimulus and our response and, and, and you just forget all the steps between. When, when something happens to you or you perceive that they're happening to you and then the firing off the, our response, um, that automatic thinking says that there's, no, there's nothing in between. Yeah, you just got to do it. You just do whatever is you're being compelled to do. Right, right. Well, th- these defaults that we have in our, in our head – you know, a lot of them started in our, it came from our youth, you know, and, and some of these defaults don't serve us anywhere, very well anymore. <laughs> some yeah. of them never did. You know, and, and I, love the, I love Viktor Frankl, the, one of the most incredible books, um, Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. He sa- I love this. He says, between stimulus and response, there lies a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom, mm. and and that's where uh, many of us lose our freedom, Matt. When we we don't we don't uh, challenge those automatic uh, thoughts, and and when we just go with the default. Some you know maybe a, a loved one will will fire off what we what we perceive is a is a negative, and we fire back with the without even making sure that that's what it was, and then create this the, the very conflict that we were trying to avoid. 
because of our automatic thinking. So that's that's an example. That's a great example, and it's it it, it is like a default mentality because you do that naturally, right? We're wired to do that naturally. So if we step on a snake, we jump and we run. Um, but we don't need to do that with our spouse. We don't well, need to and, see them like a snake. Yeah, so so back to that notion of, of defaults. The computer industry has, has kind of used that, that term defaults. You know, I ask my audiences, are, are computer defaults good or bad? And it's a fun question because I usually get good, and then I hear bad, <laughs> and then I hear depends. You know, if you've ever had a, a, a computer default set incorrectly, it's pretty frustrating you know, and Googling it and trying to figure, how to figure out how to, to change the default. Right. But, but if you can imagine, if every time you picked up or turned on a computer, if you had to reconfigure the, the darn thing, they wouldn't even be useful, would they? So the defaults aren't good or bad. They're just really, really powerful. And the late, great Bob Mowat, I love this, he said, the human brain is the fastest working, coolest running, most compact and efficient computer mechanism ever produced in large quantities by unskilled labor. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. We've got this amazing piece of hardware, right, in, in our brain. And, and so the question is, what is the software that's written on, on top of that hardware? Mm. And some of, once again, some of that software, it, it, you know, some of that, those defaults, aren't serving us very well. And if I can, can I share a, yeah. just a personal story you bet. to illustrate? So I was, uh, m- m- my, my dad is a good man with a really good heart, raised in an alcoholic home to, to a good man with a really, I mean, I read about my, my grandfather. He's an amazing man, but he had a, a really ugly disease, a disease called alcoholism. And my dad raised us by our backside, if you can imagine, yeah. um, right in the middle of nine children. I believe my mom and dad had nine kids for cheap child labor. <laughs> I was raised on a cattle ranch, and they worked us hard. And my dad is, you know, he was defaulting me. You know, I was lazy with his black leather belt, you know, and, and uh, you know, it was, it was pretty rough. And I get to elementary school, and, uh, and I have, uh, you know, the smallest kid in the school, and, and I was the skinniest little kid. They had a lot of names for me. I had a, a learning disability called lixdexia. And um, that's dyslexia for everybody Yeah, for else. people backwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, I was teased an awful lot, and I had some defaults. In fact, one of the defaults, they, they, they said that I was learning disabled. Yeah. Well, dyslexia is not a learning disability at all. It's a learning and perceptual difference. We just look at the world differently. But, but the labels that were put on me, I'd created a lot of defaults. By the time I got to elementary school, or to high school, I had basically two defaults. I was defiant or I was defeated. Hmm. And, I, and there was not, not a lot of difference. I mean, a, a, a lot of, of – um, there's not a lot of room between. I was a pretty tough kid to love. And then someone came into my life, an old Greek wrestling coach named George Artemis, and he pulled me aside from the other wrestlers one day, and he stuck his finger in my face. And he said, you, I'm going to make a champion. Hmm. And, and um, I tell you what, the guy just, I mean, it, one thing he says, he's, champions are born and then unmade. He said, you've been unmade. We're going to make you again. I found out years later, he stole that line from a Nike sneaker commercial. He did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this guy used the power of his word to start to redefine what I thought about myself. He's, he's changing my default. He's got the computer term, uh, console, and he's in there typing on the keys, and he's, he's, he's trying to, to, to figure out how to, how to uh, uh, change my defaults, mm. and, and, and I let him do it. That's powerful. Well, and then all of a sudden, yeah, you catch, 
you catch that new way of seeing yourself, that it's not about your limits, uh, it's about your goals. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah, so, so one, one thing he, ta- he taught me, he says, that, he says, Brad, if you want to change your stories, or excuse me, if you want to change your story, then you got to, ch- and I bet I did want to change my story. And for your, your listeners, think about your, your story. Where are you at right now? What is your, what is your life situation? He says, if you want to change your story, then you got to change your stories. Hmm. You had one of my really, one of my best friends in the world, Kirk Weisler, on your show yeah, just a few yeah. months ago, and um, I, I recently listened to to, the, to your interview. It was a really fun interview, and and Kirk is the the, the culture guy, you know, and he right. one of the things he does is he he creates story warriors in in organizations. And um, and I really do believe that the, the culture cultures aren't static; they're they're dynamic. They don't just cultures aren't set in in real. They're, they they move. They get better and they get worse over time, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Not not only uh, corporate cultures, family cultures. You know, the culture inside your own head. <laughs> and it changes with every story. So the way you change the way you change the culture. Uh, like Kirk was talking about too, is you just have to get everyone seeing the right stories and then retelling the right stories, and 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 that eventually becomes the story. Yeah, and the, and the stories of some accumulation, of some total, the accumulation of all the stories that are currently being told, that is the culture. Mm. So if we want to change the culture, us as leaders, we've got to we've got to be. Ch- ch- Retelling the, the uh, different stories, we got to just tell different stories and get, right. get our folks telling different stories. Oh, even I mean, just even the stories that we say, like oh, I can't do that, or that's too hard, or I'm not that t- I'm not, you know, I'm not a I'm not a math person, I'm not a science person. Yeah, it's interesting right. stuff. We're speaking with Brad Barton. Go to his website, bradbartonspeaks.com, and you can get all the information uh, about having him come be a speaker for your organization and. Or you can find out about his materials, his books, other things that he's done. Stick with us, though. We'll come back and continue to uh, figure out how to move beyond some of these thoughts and stories and, and how, we, how we create our own story. We find our own magic. More with Brad Barton right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Brad Barton, um, who's teaching us how to move beyond illusion, uh, the power of our perception, and discovering our own magic. He is a uh, he's a speaker and travels the country, talking travels the world, talking to corporate America about how to um, create a better culture, a healthier culture, as well as just helping people figure out. The stories, the perspectives that need to be changed in order to create a changing uh, paradigm in their own world. Everybody, we all hold on to some story. We may have learned it as a kid that it just doesn't serve us anymore. And if we want to grow and get more uh, effective in life and, and have better relationships and a better life, you might need to let a few things go. Brad Barton, welcome back to the show, my friend. It's so great to be with you. And you're cold. Uh, it's sounding better. 
Well, I'm 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 trying to rise to the moment here. You are, you, and you're you're doing a great job. <laughs> hey, talk about um, these the kind of the default thinking that you were talking about. We we all kind of go to our defaults. How do we how do we determine if our defaults getting in the way, and then how do we actually go about shifting it? Yeah, it's a really good question. I I actually like um, to to use magic, as you mentioned in when I'm speaking with this wonderful metaphor, and I don't like using strong magic when I speak because I, I'm back on, you know, five minutes later teaching some, you know, reinforcing some true principle, and my audience is st- still back there thinking, how in the heck <laughs> did he do that? I don't like that. I, I yeah. want people with me, and, but there is one illusion that I, I use a lot because I want – that is strong it, because I want people to, maybe to be humbled a little bit, maybe mm-hmm. is a way to say that stark reality i tear a newspaper and then restore it wow it's it's pretty and most of your audience has probably heard of this or seen this illusion but i want everybody in the audience to to, i want to tell them straight off i said what you're about to experience doesn't happen you know usually a chuckle and then i actually do it and and the the thing's restored (laughs) i want people to understand that we can be all of us are susceptible for getting sucked in to illusions. Yeah. Now, in this case, you know, the besides maybe losing some sleep over that illusion, it, that one's not going to hurt you. It's powerfully deceptive. It looks real, sounds real, it even feels real in a way, but it's not. It's I, I lied to I, I lied to them with my fingers, right? <laughs> when, I did, when I did this. Yeah. But you even told them up front, I'm. This is not real. It's yeah. I, uh, David Copperfield, he never calls himself a magician, does yeah. he? No. Because he gets it. He, he understands what he does. He properly co- calls himself an illusionist, right? Yeah. And uh, I, um, I don't know if your listeners are TED Talk folks, but... Oh, um, yeah. But, um, we talk about it all the time. Talk. You, you, you all have heard of, of the, the name David Blaine, one of the yeah. famous magicians of our... I, I, heard, this, I heard this on a, on, a David, uh, on a TED Talk, David Blaine. He said... Being a magician is one of the most honest professions. <laughs> huh. He says, we tell you that we're going to deceive you, and then we do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right? So I'm, I'm being really upfront with my audience. This does not happen. But, but the, the, the notion is there's some illusions out there in life that aren't going to leave us laughing and clapping. That's right. Illusions that sound real, feel real, you know, that, that look real, but just flat aren't. No, I, and I see it with clients all day long. They just – they believe it. They believe they're no good. They believe that they, they can never do anything right or that – and once you believe it, it is it. That's it. It's a default. So back to your, your original question, how do you reprogram that? Well, you know, psychotherapy, maybe there's some ways – books that you can read that are yeah. amazing. Um, it really boils down to, to, to just reprogramming. And I just wanted to, to explore the notion, if we can – the power of words. W- words are not a, are not a little powerful, Matt. They're a lot of powerful. Yeah. Um, w- words words have power to to ch- to to change the w- the way we think, the way we feel. I mean, uh, this this notion: sticks and stones will break my bones. Right. But we're, what a crock! <laughs> <laughs> words hurt. It, you know, if you've been, been kicked in the shin, it hurts really bad for about five full seconds. And then five minutes later, it still smarts pretty badly. And then five <laughs> days later, you can't remember which, which shin got, got impacted, right? That's right. 
you know, and if we've had, ever had somebody say something that hurt really bad for five seconds and five minutes, it hurts just as bad. Five days, five months later, you think about it, and you still cringe. I mean, words, words, words are super, super powerful. So just, no, just the notion that words, words really matter. Um, so true. I, I, I use an illusion to, to illustrate this, where I've got a, a I've, I've, I'm flipping um, this card over with it. If you can imagine, I'm trying to explain this. I say one, and then I show them one dot, and then I flip it over, and I say four, and I show them four dots, and then I say three, and I flip it over, and I say six, and I flip it over. Well, I'm not showing them. I show them one and four, and then when I come back the second time, I'm actually showing them two when I say three, and then and then I flip it over again, and I say six when I'm showing them five. <laughs> and I've got my hand covering the space where the six dots supposed to be. And then it's all over just like that. And guess what my audience sees, Matt? They only see what they hear. They see what I just told them, yeah. and they're shocked. when I And the gasp. I mean, it's really fun. The gasp. It, it, when, when, I, when I show them what I really did, I, I showed them one and three, and then I showed them five instead of six and and um and and so the words how words are powerful yeah and we believe them don't and we and so when we're told something when we're young we we might believe it especially if i guess if it if it makes our brain feel like it justifies our insecurities or if it if, if our brain also if our chemistry jives with it too we we like that story we like those words right and we'll make it. We'll make it be whatever it is. Even if it was a three, we'll make it a four. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so back back to to my own personal experience. I went home one night with just this amazing new story in my head. Coach grabbed me, pulled me aside. I was a freshman at the end of co- the, the wrestling season. And he said, "Brad, you are going to go to college someday," and it, it just blew my mind away. I mean, most of your listeners don't won't understand this because. You know, my kids wouldn't. I'm, I'm changing their diapers, you know. Mm-hmm. You're going to college, right? But no one had ever told me I was going to college. Many adults had told me, Brad, you're just not college material. material. And my coach told me, you're going to go to college. I went home and, and told my dad. I said, Dad, my coach told me I could go to college. And he laughed. He la- And he was just pointing out the obvious. He said, you'd be lucky to graduate high school your grades. Because mm. I was a pitiful student. You know, because I, I didn't, I mean, I was learning broken, right? Learning disabled. Right. And when my coach told me I could go to college, you know, for the for those couple of hours, I'm thinking, Gads, if I could go to college, I could study anything. I mean, right. I, could, I, could, I could go anywhere. I could become anybody. And then my dad stole it back away from me and says, <laughs> he said, you, you'd be lucky to graduate high school, your grades. And, and he was right. I mean, all, all, um. Um, evidence would suggest that that he was right because I was barely making it through, you know, through high school. And I went back to school the next day and I said, "Give it up, Coach." My dad told me we could never afford something like that. And he said, "He said, Brad, you have no idea who you are, young man." And I love this—the power of words. Yeah. That I, I'm, you know, I'm not just telling my story right here because many of us that are listening, and that many of your your viewers or your audience, your listeners. You've you've had stories too. You have had people tell you th- th- some similar thing. Oh right. And, and when he said, "You have no idea who you are, young man," he says, "If you want college bad enough, you got it in the bag." 
you can do this thing. And then he made me a challenge. He says, Brad, if you will work harder than anybody else in the state of Idaho, you can win a state championship, and, and they'll give you a scholarship. And it was a whole new idea for me. I thought, well, do you think I could do that, Coach? He says, yes. Cause he, and he wasn't just telling that to everyone on the team. Right. He, he knew that uh, you know, I, I had this, you know, I was quick on my feet. You know, I had this fire on my belly, had this athletic ability. Then I was tiny, and I was weighing in at 83 pounds, you know, the lowest weight class is 98. <laughs> I was getting murdered. But, but he, he says, I think you can do this. And so I was faced with a choice that we all have. We've got voices telling us that we can't telling us how it is, <laughs> right. and voices that are speaking the language possibilities. And, my, and I chose to listen to that, that other voice. He taught me about the, the hard way, easy way principle. And, um, you know, that oftentimes the, 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 that's the way the life is. The easy way is often the hard way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to drop out of school, but it's hard to live your whole life from there. It's easy to, it's hard to get a PhD, right, oh, Doc? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it opens up a lot of freedom, a lot of possibilities, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. My my friend Britton Johnson, you know, if you're I know, heard, I know Britton, yeah. So Britton tells a great story, and I I hope you'll forgive me. He's a basketball player, played right for the Utes. Yeah, he was on that that, that um, um, final uh, four. Thing. No, actually, he went and played Kentucky for the for the final. For the final, that's right. Final two, right? Yeah, that's right. So here, here, Britain didn't get drafted, and he's in the he's in the junior league. You know, traveling around the country on a bus, uh-huh. you know, playing basketball every night, just killing himself. And he says the the story he was telling himself is, "I am going to be in the NBA. I'm going to play in the NBA, right?" Yeah. And he and he and he gets into this little tiny town, and all his buddies are you know watching video games and and playing Nintendo on in, in the hotel, and he's out there doing extra workouts. And and one night, he's watching a game after his his second workout, right? right. And and uh, an amazing the thing happened. This brawl happens, right? It cleared the benches, and he's thinking that's crazy. And they're getting in the fight with the, the stands, right? The folks in the stands. And uh, later that night, his his agent called him and said, uh, "Get I got a plane ticket for you. You're going to be guarding guarding Kevin Garnett tomorrow night." <laughs> and he was ready because he 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 understood the it's hard to go do extra workouts, right? To right. get ready, but he was ready for that call. And the next night, he was he was guarding Kevin. Holy Garnett, cow! You know, living the dream. So it's hard to stay ready for to live your dreams. But it sure is easy you know, oh, to, to go live your dream. Absolutely, and and in the end, uh, it that right there changes your story forever. Plus the stories you tell f- to others. Mm. I mean, th- then all of a sudden, your story, like Britton Johnson's, becomes a story that can change other people. That's how. That's why. That's why guarding our story, knowing our story, being careful what we tell ourselves matters. Yeah. Yeah. So it's surrounding ourselves with with some 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 champions, um, and and being being that voice of approbation, being somebody that, you know, um, I love I love the story right of uh, um, of uh, uh, that Cervantes told about you know the the man of La Mancha. Mm-hmm. This guy had a story that was different than reality. And in the end, he ends up creating a different reality because he, he told the story, uh, you know, and, and uh, Dulcinea became Dulcinea um, because, 
because he she listened to this guy's story. Stories, man. Hey, Brad, as we wrap it up, um, what would you say is the one thing that I can do, just the average person out there can go do today to 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 kind of recheck their story and to find their magic, just kind of like your coach got opened your heart up to finding some magic inside of you. What could we just do today? Oh, I think listen to your heart. Listen to your heart, and and the stories that are are resonating and you know are true. Just lean into those and listen to those. Read read books that that feed your soul. Hmm. Um, I'm I'm writing and I hope you'll uh, 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 forgive me. I'm writing another book called Back on Track and just a just a just a, a quick uh, story that that um yeah. that, that I told myself when I was just a punk kid. It was I was going to go be you know a, a national champion and my pipe dreams I was going to set world records. Well, years later I come back in a master's career. My old coach I got him out of retirement and we went and did that. We set you know we got three world records hmm. be, because because um, um, because I, I listened I listened to, to to my coach story telling him telling me back in the day that I could go do some things that have never been done. Mm. So, so listen, listen to, um, listen to the right kinds of stories. You know, um, the, the word abracadabra. We're talking about magic. This yeah. ties tied in. The word abracadabra sounds like a vaudeville term, right? It does. Yeah. It's an ancient word. What does it mean? They, they, they're not sure because it's so ancient. This, I think, it's an entomologist. The guys that figure out the the meanings of of words. Mm-hmm. They think it may be Arabic. It it really and, and if you if it is it means I create as I speak, hmm. or another way to to say it is I create what I speak, or or the other version it may, it may be Hebrew in in origin, and, and that the Hebrew uh, uh, translates it came to pass as it was spoken. Hmm. That's now, cool. Words cast spells. Yeah, that's that's why they call it spelling. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. No, that, that may you know, no, but that's cute, but doggone it, it's powerful. Absolutely. Let's tell better stories. Let's let's listen to better stories. Let's read better stories, and let's go create better stories. Good stuff. Good stuff. Brad Barton, appreciate you, brother. Uh, go to the website, bradbartonspeaks.com. You can find out everything you know, need to know about Brad. You can watch his videos there as well. Uh, find out how to, you know, where he'll be speaking and how to book him if you're interested in that as well. Good stuff. There's magic there, Brad. Go get better, my friend. This is uh, the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, trying to bring you the tools, the information you need to make a better life for yourself. Let's start with our words, for heaven's sakes, right? A little abracadabra. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Wow, uh, interesting stuff. When you think about it, how how do you think about yourself? What are the thoughts that you have about you? And do you keep promoting those thoughts by you know commenting on them, by bringing them up all of the time? 
uh, there really is um, a lot that we can all learn, I think. And one of my things I've been doing, he, he mentioned um, Man's Search for Meaning, that book written by Viktor Frankl. And I found a little gold mine for you. If you go to YouTube and you look up Viktor Frankl, you can find the audio version of that book on YouTube and listen to it for free. It's about, I think, 35 sections or something. And, um, you know, maybe each one's 10 minutes or so. But for free. You can just start listening to that book, which I believe is one of the greatest books around. And again, this is an Austrian psychiatrist captured by the Nazis, thrown into Auschwitz, a brilliant man. And he's trying to figure out, as a psychiatrist, what is going on with these people? And he remember that quote that uh, that Brad shared with us, between stimulus and response, there's a space in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So between you and every situation you have that creates a stimulus, like the person that's going too slow in front of you on the drive, or your family member that said something rude, or your boss that you know doesn't understand how great you are, that's a stimulus. And you, there's a space between you, your, that stimulus and your response. And how you choose to response will respond will determine if you grow and how much freedom you're going to have. And Viktor Frankl learned a lot of these lessons in Auschwitz where he had no freedom, where the Jewish capo that was over the Jews that was inside of the camp turned out to be a bigger brute than the Nazi that was guarding him. Isn't that paradoxical, ironic? Why would... The Jewish capo be harder on the Jews than the – but they learned a lot of really powerful things. But the power of what you think – because one of the things that got him through that, and he tells the story about his wife, that he would imagine eventually being back with his wife. He'd eventually be teaching his classes, sharing everything he learned in these camps, and it eventually happened. He did get home. But when he got home, he realized or found out that his wife had died in a concentration camp – much earlier, um, but the thought of her, the thought of being with her, the thought of having her as he would look over at the women's camps, that is that very thought is what got him the strength to carry on. So there, the magic is in the thinking, folks. It's also in the choices we make based on our thinking. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Here to help you find the good in the world. We'll take a break. Next hour, more ideas, more information right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we help you live longer and love stronger. Lead the healthy life you need to lead, but you can't do it without the information you need. Already on the show today, we've talked about the BMI index, and we've blown it up. Oh, it's bogus. It's bogus. You know, it's one way. It's one way to, you know. 
what it, what it sounds like is if you're really skinny, it'll tell you to eat more. If you're yeah. really overweight, it'll tell you to eat less. If you're in the middle, it's confusing because if you're healthy but bigger, it says you're right overweight and you're not. And okay. so it just kind of depends on – that's and, why you need to consult a expert. And it's 200 years old. That too. A. B, it was never intended for personal fat – amount uh, explanation. What do they call that? It was never determined or used for you personally to go find out how fat or not fat you are. It was it was used to basically for governments to figure out how much – what is healthy for their population. And the third thing is it's um, – it was never intended – it was intended for men. It was based on men, yes. When they built the – Not women. The, so, the ratio is built for muscular, you know, a, a man who has a bigger frame, a bigger yeah. overall size than a woman would. And so when you apply it to a woman, it's not as accurate or applicable to yeah. her health. Yeah. Seems kind of offensive. So now they do the calipers. Yeah. So they can pinch you. Which I think, by the way, I've had somebody pull out the BMI index at a party and start testing everybody. I'd rather that you just either soak me in a tub yeah. of water. They do the water displacement yeah. test, yeah. Or that you pull out your calipers and start testing my fat. To me, that just seems more accurate. I mean, sure, it's awkward. Matt, will you take your shirt off? You're amongst friends. We're amongst friends. Or family. <laughs> or family. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. Let me, get, let me get right on that. Hey, um, we, if you haven't heard, um, there's some people running for president. A few. And Lindsey Graham, who's a GOP contender-ish, uh, in the top 15. Are we still in the 15? Yes. Um, I think. Lindsey Graham. If you count Democrats, you're safe. He, he seemed to summarize it really well, the whole race. And he can't figure out why he's losing. Please. You got the two front runners on the Democratic side, right? Mm-hmm. The number two guy went to the Soviet Union on his honeymoon. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> And I don't think he ever came back. Uh, <laughs> well, the leader physically he did. felt that she was flat broke after her husband was president for eight years. Mm-hmm. On our side, you got the number two guy tried to kill somebody at 14. And the number one guy's high energy and crazy. How am I losing to these people? <laughs> there you have it. A summary of your political election. And the 15th candidate on the GOP is like, how am I losing? How am I losing? How does – he's from, I think, is it North Carolina or uh, South, South Carolina? Carolina I think. He's from South Carolina, and in his state, he's polling like 1% yeah. in his own state. Well, he's got to either be a communist or the ex-spouse of a president. Right. With, or, or crazy, as he says. Or crazy squared. <laughs> Interesting, interesting stuff. Um, then we've got, if you go a little, you know, if you want deeper analysis, you could go to Trump. And Trump now is on this weird um, bandwagon about people's energy. Let's go through a few of those. By the way, Carson is lower energy than Bush. I don't get it. I saw him being interviewed. He's lower energy than Bush. Donald Trump has fallen to second place behind Ben Carson. We informed Ben... But he was sleeping. <laughs> then the crowd. Ah. Uh, so, so he's now Trump is is behind in the Iowa poll, and now the way he beats up Carson is his energy. And apparently in Iowa, it has kind of backfired on him because he went after Carson's religion. Yeah, 
by saying Seventh Day Adventist. What's that? What I don't, I don't even, even know, know what that is. Yeah, he's all acting confused. Mm-hmm. But by saying that, people get the implied meaning of because uh, he said he goes, "I'm a Protestant." He goes, "That's pretty much." I mean, mi- we we know what a Protestant is. He goes, "I'm I'm that's middle of the road." Yeah. Seventh Day Adventist. I don't that, know what they are. And so people in Iowa are mad because he is a. Mm. religious person in name only. Right. The church he claims that Trump claims to go to, the New York media went to that church and the guy's like, he's never been here. Mm. But we'd love a donation. <laughs> but sure, come on by. <laughs> and so can. he's he's all of a sudden uh, trying to pull in religion and say that I'm a religious person and this guy's doing something else, Ben Carson, and that's backfired, mm. it seems like. And so that, that that may be a reason why some of the vote has gone to Ben Carson. So, so he's battling for the GOP, uh, you know, top of the polls and Hillary's on the other side but Hillary's now mad at Ben Sanders Ben yeah Bernie Sanders Bernie Sanders because uh Bernie apparently keeps saying that she's shouting about gun control but he says I never meant I he said people are shouting he never yeah, said her yeah I don't think he meant her I think and, and in the uh, explanation he gives he goes into he talks about how there's people all across the country just yelling about this instead of doing something about it. Yeah. I've been told to stop, and I quote, shouting about gun violence. Well, first of all, I'm not shouting. (laughs) It's just when women talk, some people think we're shouting. Mm. And you couldn't hear the crowd, but she's done it two or three times, and one time the crowd breaks out cheering, yes. So she then turned that, she turned it into a sexist thing. So Bernie is being sexist because when she shares her opinion about gun control, it sounds like she's shouting, like she's shrill. Here we go. There you go. Here we go. Good old Bernie. But Bernie's like, no, 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 no. That's not what was my intent. I certainly do not have a problem with women speaking out. And I think what the secretary is doing there is taking words and misapplying them. What I was saying is if we are going to make some progress on dealing with these horrific massacres that we're seeing is that people have got to start all over this country talking to right. each other. It was not Hillary Clinton. You have some people who are shouting at other people all across this country. You know that. This nation is divided on this issue. Yeah. So in the end, the sad thing is Bernie's the one that stood up for Hillary. And now he's kind of been thrown under the bus as if he was being sexist. But he's been talking about people shouting about gun control but not doing anything about it forever. And then she used it to to beat up Bernie Sanders. Anyway, politics as usual, apparently. Politics as usual. Now, here's the funny thing, though. We got to remember, Bernie is much more – is known much more than just as the guy that went on his honeymoon – uh, to to Russia or the guy that is, you know, been shouting against gun control. He's also brought us one of the great musical renditions of, highway, I saw above me of an old classic. I saw below me Slow jamming. This land was made for you and me. Yeah. Thank you, Bernie. It's a great song. And the background singers? Yeah. Fantastic. That's a great song. So don't just ever put anyone in a, you know, don't just ever put a label on him. 
He's not. He's one. He's got. He's given us one of the greatest slow jams of all time. <laughs> Great slow jams. Great slow jams. Anyway, let's go to the headlines with Terry South. Terry. Uh, Congressional leaders in both parties and President Obama have reached an agreement on a budget deal that would avert a default on the government debt and fund the government through sometime in 2017. That's been announced this morning. Though the deal just being revealed, the details will reportedly raise the federal borrowing limit while modestly increasing domestic spending over the next two years in exchange for cuts to, to Medicare and Social Security benefits. Representative Paul Ryan, who possibly could be the next speaker, had some comments earlier this morning. I'm reserving judgment on this agreement mm-hmm. because I, quite frankly, haven't seen it yet. I want to see what it looks like on paper. But about the process, I can say this. I think this process stinks. This is not the way to do the people's business. And under new management, we are not going to do the people's business this way. Uh, we are up against a deadline. That's unfortunate. But going forward, we can't do the people's business. As a conference, we should have been meeting months ago to discuss these things to have a unified strategy going forward. When you look at the... So Paul Ryan wants to get away from deadline governing of the people's business and get to the point where we're you know planning and doing things responsibly. The government needs to secure a deal before November 3rd, uh, that deadline, and a temporary spending measure that averts the government shutdown in October lapses on December 11th. So these are some key dates. The uh, billionaire businessman Charles Koch said he and his brother David plan to wait until year's end to figure out how they'll spend their $750 million designated for influencing the 2016 presidential race. The hesitation he suggested in an interview with the Wall Street Journal is the result of their frustration with the field of candidates. Critical for a free society is tolerance, Koch said at one point, seemingly referring to Donald Trump's negative remarks about immigrants, Muslims, and women. At another point, he issued a warning about the rise of populists like Trump. Typically what happens is when voters are frustrated is they give the government even more power. And they go too far the other way. So the Koch brothers are going to wait to uh, see who they back. New York City will begin offering high school juniors the ability to take the SAT exam free of charge starting the spring of 2017. City officials hope that the SAT school day program will make it easier for low-income students to apply for college. In addition to waiving the $54 uh, cost of the exam, the the program allows students to take the SAT during their regular school day. In 2015, only 56% of high school seniors in New York took the SAT at least once. Uh, Similar initiatives in Kentucky, South Carolina, and Wisconsin and Connecticut require students to take the SAT or ACT in order to graduate. Mm. So they're putting some significance on these tests. Oh, those are some bad days. Yeah, I remember those. (laughs) I sat next to my brother. Yeah. Who was, uh, what, how old? He was in ninth grade. I was a senior in high school. He beat me on the test. Ah, brothers. He didn't study. I did for weeks. He just blew me away. He's a smart kid. It's all genes, son. The University of, Missis- or University of Mississippi is removed from his campus uh, the state flag featuring the Confederate battle emblem. The official lowering of the flag comes several days after the school student government adopted a resolution calling for the removal of the banner from campus. The move is especially bold considering the school's historic struggle with Deep South racial tensions. Hmm. So that's uh, something that's ongoing there. A man camping outside an Orlando store 33 days before Black Friday plans to be first to grab a deal on a new TV while raising awareness for homelessness. Wow. Yeah. His name's Kevin Sutton. That's a nice spin on it. He uh, He's sitting outside of Best Buy in Florida. He wants a new TV. He also wants to raise awareness for the 13,000 homeless children in Central Florida. Sutton is accepting donations, gift toys, and money, which will be given to uh, a local 
uh, charity. Sutton says he won't leave in the site until Black Friday and will live on food and water that is provided to him through donations. Wow. That's great. In addition, he says he is attempting to break a record set by two women in California last year who camped out for 22 days. Interesting. So we are now... Uh, and apparently it may be a radio stunt, too. So yeah. there's a bunch of stuff involved there, but... Hey, when in doubt... He's camping out. Radio stunted out. Right now for donations for charity and a TV. Okay. That's one way to do it. That's one <laughs> way to do it. Uh, well done, Terry. We are going to be taking a break when we come back. Our own Ron Hager, Dr. Ron Hager, will be joining us. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. We're going to be talking about um, fasting, just abstaining from food. You know, some people call it a cleanse, but a fast. Some religious, uh, you know, followers and, and faiths, they actually fast and they won't eat or drink food for a day or whatever. Uh, fasting. Is it healthy? Or do you just need to kind of keep, you know, keep the calories aflowing? Um, we'll be talking to an expert on that and uh, and other ways to uh, – and other benefits to stay healthy, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, we have him around regularly. Ron Hager is his name. He is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. And his expertise is in chronic disease prevention. And um, Ron, welcome, my friend. Thanks. Thanks. It's good to be here. Dr. Ron. He's yeah. in the building. <laughs> now, Ron, here's the deal. So I saw this article in Men's Health, I guess, I think it was in Men's Health, on the skinny on intermittent fasting. Right. So um, many faith organizations do what's called a fast. And as LDS, we have a fast every month. Uh, you can fast, but it's, we do it kind of, I think, more to get more into our spiritual self, separate ourselves from our body. But um, I was wondering if there's, if there's a physical benefit to fasting. Uh, there is, Matt, and in, in the research, fasting is just when you're not eating. Just not eating. It's just the amount of time between meals. So the kind of fasting you're describing, uh, you know, like for a religious purpose, you know, to sort of whatever you want to call it, put off the, you know, the natural man or, yeah. you know, or the or the physical desires and then, uh, uh, you know, try and, uh, you know, draw yourself closer to God. Uh, that That's a little different perspective. Um, but the, the idea in the research is that, uh, you know, and, and, and this is common sense, really. Yeah. I mean, what's kind of funny to me is, you know, if I asked you before you saw this research, if I said, Matt, do you think that, uh, uh, you know, eating basically three meals a day over a given window of time is better for you than uh, eating meals – uh, with very little uh, downtime, yeah. uh, you know, that in, in other words, you know, if, if every couple of hours or even There's, hour you're eating yeah. something right. and you're doing that over 15 or 16 hours of the day and your weekend days are dramatically different than your right. weekdays, you know, which do you think is going to be better for you? I don't think you need a piece of research no, no, you to know tell it. you that. Yeah, you know, but it is nice to, I guess, you know, have the 
you know, the, the confirmation, the data. I guess, by you know is, ha- having a study. But is there is there a problem to um, like a lot of people will go do a cleanse? Yeah. And they may not eat or drink anything for whatever, 30 hours, 24 hours. Or then they just drink lemonade or whatever the cleanse is. Yeah. Is is that healthy? Um, I, I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess a cleanse depends what you're cleansing. With, yeah, but. that that's true, and and there are different, uh, I guess, gimmicks. Mm-hmm. You know that you can do. Um, it, it, it seems it, like taking a break once in a while for your body would but, be but, great. Exactly, but how long does that break need to be? Yeah, and when is and, it no longer and, and these healthy? Cle- these cleansing things, you know, you have to remember that your body was meant. To yeah. process food. I mean, digestion is normal and, Some bacteria, and, and yeah. intake is yeah. normal. You know, you eat, you digest, you excrete, you repeat. Um, and <laughs> Sounds and like a bad wash cycle. Well, yeah, it does kind of. But, uh, you know, th- there are studies to show that, uh, that intermittent eating, you know, uh, that, that's frequent, mm-hmm. you know, where the episodes of eating are in close proximity to each other over a long period of time. Uh, does lead to some metabolic dysfunctions in the body that can affect uh, the the kidneys. It can affect the liver. It can affect risk of disease, huh. uh, diabetes, for really? example. Yeah, um, intermittent so, meaning on off in like or it, or, or, or it, all day long every right. so, two hours. So on three hours. off, but in close proximity. Interesting. Yeah, um, and and in this study that you're referencing, uh, you know, it's one of the few studies that have actually looked beyond. You know, quality and quantity of calories, and and looked at kind of this uh, this temporal relationship between eating episodes. And to me, one of the most well, a couple of things came out of this that I thought were fascinating. Uh, one is they looked at, you know, there are ways to calculate how many calories a person needs. Right. And in this uh, study, they call those maintenance calories. So, how many calories do you need to maintain? you know, homeostasis or the functioning of your body. Right. And in other words, everything beyond that is extra, right? And right. that, that in theory, uh, is overconsumption and leads to the potential for weight gain and uh, and being, becoming overweight or obese. So what these researchers found is that by 6.36 p.m. on a daily basis, mm-hmm. 100% of the maintenance calories had been consumed. Yet more than 35% of the total calories that were being eaten were being consumed after 6 (laughs) p.m. So so about a third more calories. So that's that's, – and they've actually got a time. In their study, by 636, you've pretty much got your maintenance calories done. Right. So they used a a (laughs) smartphone app where where people took pictures of everything they ate or drank, whether it had caloric value or not. So even if it was a drink of water, they took a picture of it. And they could make notations on whatever it was they were eating too, although very few, only a little over 2% of the people actually made some description, you know, a text description of what they were eating. They just took pictures. But from pictures, you can can calculate – uh, you know, caloric value of the food you're eating because, you know, you take a picture of something that's recognized and you can actually use food calorie databases and different right. things to come up with actual, you know, caloric values and how much people are consuming. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. Now, they also noticed that uh, that people were, on average, they were consuming, you know, they were eating, having episodes of eating 
that were as much as 15 or more hours during the day, you know, continuous. Really? That, now, that doesn't mean they were just sitting at a table eating yeah, for 15 great, hours. Yeah. It just means that uh, there, were very, there was very little downtime. You know, in other words, they might eat breakfast, but then when they get to work, you know, they eat a little snack at work. Maybe yeah, somebody brought donut, some donuts or muffins donut. or, or whatever. Or Then you have your pre-lunch snack. <laughs> yeah, and then you, yeah, or whatever. You know, it kind of reminds me there's a uh, – Taco Bell is advertising now for the fourth meal. Oh, no. You know, so as as if Lobbying that's something we should do. Mill. Now, the other thing they found, uh, Matt, that was pretty fascinating too is uh, what they called metabolic jet lag. And you know, jet lag is when you do something like when when you're traveling, yeah. you travel to a different time zone than you're than you're accustomed to, and it affects you. Yeah. So what they found is that people were eating differently on weekdays and weekend days. So sure. Saturday and Sunday were different eating patterns. Than Monday through Friday, and that was causing like a jet lag, a, 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 a metabolic jet lag. So, in other words, the body likes routine. Uh-huh. The body, uh, you know, and I don't know this for a fact because I wasn't around a hundred years ago. But my guess is there's some research out there to show what dietary patterns were like, say, a hundred or two hundred years ago. And and my guess is we do things a lot differently now. Oh, yeah. in our twenty four seven, you know, constant. Uh, uh, entertainment, constant work, constant whatever. I mean, basically what this study is showing is the only time people aren't eating is when they're asleep. (laughs) And And even then it's hard. And 100 years ago or however long ago, I don't think it was like that. I think people ate a breakfast and then they didn't eat anything until they ate a lunch and then they didn't eat anything until they ate a dinner and then they didn't eat anything until the next morning when they ate breakfast again. We had an anthropologist on here that said they would get – that the men would go hunt or either – they'd either hunt or steal from other animals. But they would get – I think they had a 3 percent chance of getting meat on their hunt. So once a month, they'd get a big protein meat meal. Right. And the rest of the time, they were chasing tubers right. and trying to find any other thing. But they weren't. But this is interesting because I've heard people, even on the show, come on and tell me I need to be eating something, a snack, something light, about every two hours. And I'm yeah. thinking all day long. But they're saying that's how you keep your metabolism up, or whatever. You just keep eating every two hours, every three hours. So that might be what we're doing: is we're teaching people that they should eat all day. Versus three well, meals and time in between. That you know that, that, that's interesting. You say that because research isn't always right. Right. You know. I mean, we we when I say we as meaning we as a society, not like me and other people, but everybody. Uh, sometimes we just don't get it right. Right. You know, we we think one thing. It maybe makes sense to us. Uh, maybe there's even some research to back it up. But and I know this sounds funny coming from a professor, but in my experience. Um, I have found that you can justify just about anything with actual research data. Yeah. In other words, you can say that's true, huh? Eating eating often and frequently helps you. There's data to show that, and here's a study that shows that that's there's data to show that's not the case. Right. So then, a lot of times, people get frustrated. They throw their arms up in the air and say, ah, "I can't stand this anymore." I, you know, what am I supposed I, to do? What am I supposed to do? Well, I like this study, and one of the other really. Uh, nice features that the researchers uh, have in this study is uh, after learning what was going on uh, for about three weeks in people's eating patterns and habits and then, you know, uh, making some assumptions and and, and describing their results, they then uh, pulled 
uh, a group of people together and did a little experiment. So what they did is they asked people to volunteer to eat with only about a 10 to 11 hour window. So in other words, instead of, you know, this whole, this, this concept of eating whenever, whatever, and, and however, uh, they said, you, you, you know, and, and they didn't, they didn't encourage them at all regarding the quality of their diet or the quantity, the number of calories in their diet. They just said, you can only eat between this time and this time. Hmm. It was a, it was a 10 to 11 hour window. And over 16 weeks, these people lost a significant amount of weight. Just by time. Just by doing it by time. Just by saying, I will only <laughs> eat amazing. between, say, you I know, believe s- it. B- between, you know, uh, 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. And yeah. I will not eat after 6 p.m. And I will not eat, you know, before s- 7 a.m. After 6 p.m., you're fasting. That's exactly. You're going to fast from 6 to 6 in yeah. the morning. Yeah. And, and it worked. They lost some weight. And, That's amazing. But, but, but you know, you, it makes sense to me, Matt, that... Uh, it becomes easier to overconsume. I mean, these people said they were eating three meals a day. Yeah. The reality couldn't have been further from the truth. <laughs> so people don't even know. The people who are eating think they're doing one well, thing, but they're doing another. Well, it's not a meal. It's a snack. Right. It's not a snack. It's a treat. Right. We have all these other names for it, yeah. but they all constitute eating. Okay, let's take a break. We're speaking uh, with our good professor, Dr. Ron Hager, who's an associate professor here of exercise science in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He's talking to us about some of the latest research on fasting and just really how you time out your meals and your eating. We'll take a break, come back, give you more ideas, more tools to live longer. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Dr. Ron Hager uh, here from the Exercise Sciences uh, Department in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He's a chronic disease prevention expert. We uh, gave him a study that we found on fasting and, and really more on how, you, how your meals are timed and, and the timing and the spacing between meals. But uh, one of the things that he found in the study was that by 6.36 at night... 100% of your maintenance calories have been have been obtained. You've got all you need to maintain your health, your body, but about 35% of the calories that we were consuming were taken after 6 p.m. So people are probably adding about a third of the calorie uh, caloric intake after they've got their maintenance done. Is that right, Ron? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's crazy, exactly right. Ron. So, you know, in, in, in kind of, I guess, simplified terms, you know, we, we said that, you know, the body likes kind of rhythm and patterns. Yeah, totally. And, and it does. In fact, you know, studies show that, you know, circadian rhythms and these kinds yeah. of things uh, can affect our health. And so, at, you know, the, so eating is not without consequence. You know, the rhythm of eating seems to be able to make a difference uh, in your health and in your risk of disease. Other studies have shown that. I mean, um, wouldn't that be interesting if, what if you just stay loyal to the timing? So... Like, I'll go to a speech, and after the speech, they'll have cake or pie. And they're always like, Matt, do you want some pie? And in my head, I think, I probably ought not to have some pie. But what if I just thought to myself, well, no, it's 8 o'clock. Right. I'm not going to eat after 8. Right. So, so uh, like I said, these researchers in, in a follow-up study to what their, their original findings, their observations, they, 
they had a number of people agree to participate uh, in this study where they uh, where they they, they self selected a, yeah. wi- a window. So it wasn't like it was assigned to them. They got to pick within but, this era, this time frame. But it had to be the same every day, on weekdays and weekend days, and and it was a. It was a, a, a 10 to 12-hour window okay. uh, that they had to consistently follow, but it was self-selected um, so, so that you could avoid particularly this concept they introduced of metabolic jet lag. Yeah, right. You know, in other words, you're getting your body on a rhythm. You're not you know, changing it up. And, um, and, and these people uh, that did this part of the study, they did this for 16 weeks, uh, and there was, there was no instruction given on – you know what you eat. Yeah, or, don't watch or, your fat. Don't watch your no, calories. No, just whatever no, you want to do. None of that. It's just they could only eat uh, during this ten to twelve hour window, and uh, uh, so all the subjects did this and avoided this metabolic jet lag, particularly between weekday and weekend variations. And they lost an average of three point two seven kilograms, which equals seven, and, and which is seven to eight pounds. And they and they were able to maintain that. Unbelievable. They were able to maintain that just by. Eating in the window. Just like you said, no, it's after this time yeah. or it's before this time, I will not eat. Then you don't have to reject food. You're just saying, no, I, you know what? I've got a rhythm. Yeah. And that would throw me. I mean, I have family members that can't eat after 6 p.m. because it gives them acid reflux. Yeah. So they don't – they'll just say no. But yeah. it's 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 because they'll get acid reflux. It's not because they're on a diet, but they're healthier and they're skinnier and – yeah. Yeah, and and these people who who agreed to the ten to twelve hour window, self selected window, the average reduction from their normal window of eating was over four and a half hours. Oh my heavens! So they cut out an average of four and a half hours of time they would have otherwise spent, you know, eating something. And now, uh, now tell me this statistic because I, I want to get it in, and we've only got a couple minutes. You told me that the obesity epidemic is. It's not it, – there. we're about – what was it? 10 pounds overweight as a society? Well, well, no. I, I was talking about – you know. We, so, so right now we've been talking with this study, the one we just finished talking about, I guess, yeah. um, about you know, how, how we take calories in. Yeah. But there's also the issue of how we expend calories, and that has changed over time. And that's been pretty dramatic as well. Right. And, it's, and it's not all just tied to exercise. There's something called non-exercise activity thermogenesis, meaning the way you expend calories outside of exercise and mechanization and technology and the workplace efficiency uh, and even efficiency at home, dishwashers, for example. These modern conveniences in reality have robbed us of opportunities to be physically active. But if a a convenience has robbed us of losing 50 calories a day. Yeah. So so NEAT, this non-exercise activity thermogenesis, uh, experts suggest that it it equates to about 100 to 200 calories a day and could therefore explain at that level of of caloric expenditure or lack of the entire obesity epidemic. So you, you translate that into something practical and you say, that a, 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 a 50-pound weight gain over 10 years. Yeah. Okay, so we're not talking about a lot per year. Right. 50 pounds over 10 years, you know, it, 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 it's, it's like 100 and – I forget what it is. Let me look here. 175,000 calories is about 50 pounds. Yeah. But over 10 years, Matt, that's 50 calories a day. So if you just aren't taking care of – I mean, if you're uh, either not burning – 
50 calories because you're vegging a little bit more because you don't need to do your dishes. Right. Or you're eating an Oreo. Right. That could equate to over 10 years. A 50-pound weight, weight gain. At least the energy content yeah. of 50 pounds of fat. I mean, people have different I'm, metabolic right. processes. And it might, be, and it might that, be only 15 pounds. But, right. but right. I, guess, I guess that's the big point of this is sometimes it's just 50 calories. Right. And so, so I think a couple things are going on here. Uh, like in, in, in the authors in this study talk about some of these things. Um, you know, when you cut four and a half hours out of your day that you otherwise spend some of that time eating by by – by holding yourself to this window, uh, as they called it, uh, I think you can expect caloric expenditure to go down. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, caloric intake to go, to go down. down. Sure. And maybe if you're not sitting eating, <laughs> you're going to be a little to more go active. Do something, right? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. You know. Okay, we're going to have you back to talk about the the energy thing, that energy, the neat, uh, or the yeah, yeah, the yeah. neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis. We can do that. We'll talk about that. We'll have Ron Hager back, of course, uh, to give us more insight into healthy living, healthy life. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking to our good buddies there at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Taylor. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Can't believe she's singing that to me. That's fantastic. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Uh, today, it'll be uh, Jerem Jordan and Jason Shepard, my old buddy from KSL. Hey, guys. How you doing down there? Oh, hey, Matt. How you doing? We're doing good. Of yeah. all days, of all days, we're now doing a Taylor Swift song for Spencer, and he's not here. Yeah. We gave him a day off. That's good. Occasionally got to walk the dog, you know. That's right. We can uh, appreciate Taylor Swift, though. But but see, nobody can appreciate it like Spencer. He had a story with Tanner Mangum and Taylor Mm -hmm. Swift. They're going to get married, I hear. After the game. Oh, are they? Yeah. Someday. Mm. Hey, uh, guys, I got some news for you. What's up? Good news. Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, Pop-Tarts has started out with four simple flavors in 1964. Strawberry, blueberry, brown sugar cinnamon, and apple currant. I had one this morning. Did you really? In fact, I had two. One pack is two. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Wow. <laughs> you had two, you little pig? I would have pig. offered you one, but I didn't want <laughs> Now they're up to, by the way, two dozen flavors, including s'mores, cookies and cream, cinnamon roll, PB&J. Uh, they're now announcing some new flavors. So I need you guys to choose the flavor you would prefer to start with, okay? All right. Frosted chocolatey caramel, mm. pink lemonade. Oh. That yeah. sounds weird. Limited edition frosted maple bacon with nitrates, by the way, also known as crunchlets. Um, crunchlets? Crunchlets. If you add lets to in some, the end of something, yeah. that doesn't yeah. make it appealing. Exactly. Pig, lets, piglets. Um, <laughs> limited edition frosted watermelon. These are limited editions, right? Frosted so, watermelon. Mm, what does that I, even mean? I don't know. It sounds like a drug. Hey, give me some frosted watermelon. Um, limited edition frosted spring strawberry. So if you had to choose. So many adjectives. Frosted chocolatey caramel, pink lemonade, frosted maple bacon, frosted watermelon, or frosted spring strawberry. Probably the watermelon because mm. it's more of a traditional fruit. I'm not scared of the maple maple bacon. Like, what is this, voodoo donuts in Portland? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it is, actually. I'm going with the spring strawberry. Mm. Uh, strawberry is my jam. 
it is it and I, honestly until you just reacted that way i i did not intend for it to come out that way <laughs> so okay i'm all about the strawberries that's Grape where i'm going is also my jam yeah. <laughs> raspberry you guys are you're kind of you're 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 weird in a good way this is BYU. Well, what did you choose uh, i well, why choose one oh you're going to go with all of them i'm going to go with all of them and i'm going to then make them into a sandwich and pour then syrup blend on them. them up, put some protein mm-hmm. in there. Put them in my protein shake in the morning. And then eat it. Okay. Yeah, I, the, the frosted watermelon sounds weird to me. I think I would go with the maple bacon. Maple bacon is the most exotic. Yeah. And that's a very trendy flavor. Oh, totally. It's a very trendy flavor. Plus, who doesn't want smoky-flavored crunchlets? Mm. Again, with the lits. I just, mm-hmm. I can't. I, I'm not going for brisket uh, in the morning. I'm going for probably fruit of some kind. What, what do you have against brisket in the morning? Uh, I mean, what? You don't have prime rib breakfast? I w- yeah, I wish. Oh, that would it be really good. depends when you get up, right? Like, you're an early riser, aren't you? Oh, I am you're now. You're at 7, so you're probably up at what, 6.45? My car picks me up at 6 o'clock. The driver rolls the around. The driver rolls around. The, the chopper. <laughs> and I uh, do my back. show prep in the back of the car while I'm snoozing. Yeah, I get up at 4.50. Actually, my body awakes at 4.50. My brain gets up about 5.30. My body woke up at 7.17 today, and our meeting is at 7.30. So I was <sighs> late. You make me sick. I was playing the role of my missing cohort. <laughs> Who we will not name. Yeah. Spencer. He doesn't have very many flaws. No. His punctuality. But well, it's hard. He's fantastic in every other way. Yes, he is. And now you've got Jason today. Yeah. Jason. I haven't th- done a show with Jason Shepard. Haven't you? I'm just, I know a lot about Jason. He works harder than any man on earth. Wow. That's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. Can you talk to my bosses? Yes. <laughs> because that is, that is something I would want to be uh, put out there. And Jason, let's tell him where you learned that. Utah State Prison. <laughs> Nobody works harder than Jason. You'll be receiving a defamation uh, email here right after. I t- totally will be. But you, uh, Jason told me you two got to know each other at a, a different in a, radio in a previous station. Life. Yes, yeah. we did. I would. He would follow my show. They'd boot me out, just like you guys. He'd just come in and take over. But I always enjoyed those few minutes of conversation in the break. <laughs> Wasn't that at fun? The end totally. of your show before yeah. ours began. I did too, and I missed it. I miss it still, but now I don't because you're here. Jason's, That's right. See, we get to talk. Just familiar with kicking you out. Oh boy! Being like, <laughs> yes, please, no. please leave. It he, is my time. He's he's been doing it for years. What <laughs> you guys are you going to do your show today? That, We're still going to do it. Yeah. What's you're going to have a topic and stuff? Yeah, the West Coast <laughs> Conference basketball. Uh, preseason coaches polls and teams came out yesterday. So yes. where does BYU fit? What's the predi- What are the predictions from the coaches of where BYU men and women fit? We'll tell you. Plus, we'll update you on how Tyler Haas is doing in Spain. Blaine Fowler will join us to weigh in on said subjects, as well as can BYU win out? Can they win? Yes. Can the football team win all four games in November and finish with an astounding ten wins in the regular season? Would nine and three be sufficient for BYU fans too? No. But See, it, look at that. Right out of the gate, but Matt it should with the be. no. Well, it, the no. deal is it should be, but BYU fans are fickle. Were you in our production meeting earlier today? No, because... but I heard it through the room. Okay. I could hear it through All the right. walls. The walls are very thin here. <laughs> you know what else we're going to discuss? What? Should, what to do with George Q. Cannon. Did you hear about that? No. So Al- Algernon Brown, one of BYU's running backs. Right, right. 
got pushed as he scored a touchdown into the end zone, and then he ran into the cement, and then he <gasps> hit, hit George hit the, Q. Cannon. Yeah, he it, hit it the cannon. A, I heard that. cannon named George Q. Cannon. George Q. Cannon. Awesome, right? I thought it was just some old man <laughs> named old George man Q. Cannon. fantastic books. Right. Um, so what, what's the, what do you do with it? You got to move the cannon. Yeah, what do you do? I'd put it in the student section right in the middle. That'll be our right, right in the middle of the rock. <laughs> right in the middle of the rock. Right in the middle of the student section. Yeah. Don't you think that'd be and great? Instead of one one player, uh, you know, injuring his leg because he ran into it, um, <laughs> yeah. it'll be an entire you know group of of deaf students. Deaf students. What you do is you have them. No, you have them. You have them. You just you, you store it in the student section, and then they have to bring it down and fire, it and then take it back up there. Okay, and it would keep BYU the students scores, busy. They fire it, and it is startling. Yeah, okay? but not when they score. It's at the end of quarters. Right. You're over by that thing on the field, Definitely. You're like minding your own business, and then boom! Yeah. You, and you, whoa! Yeah. It's, but you know what? It was more startling to Algie, the running back. Yes, it was. He came out of the game. I know. You can't do that. Done. Yeah. Yeah. You, we actually have a solution for this. We're going to debut it on the show. We're gonna, we're gonna, we've actually tweeted it out. Oh, I've, I already know what it is. Nerf cannon? That is uh, a conversation, but the, we, we put together... We actually got okay. a photo. Okay. We didn't Photoshop this this morning. I want to make that clear. You, you 100% did 100% not get did Photoshop did two not hours ago. Think about it this morning and then execute that. Um, we I'm, tweeted out uh, at BYU Sports Nation. Yeah, I'm going to go find it. A right photo now. of the ROTC with the cannon wrapped in bubble wrap and some pillows <laughs> and a teddy bear on it. Just, just in case. Like, safety is first, right? Absolutely. Okay, then we've got the solution. That's great. And a teddy bear. And a teddy bear. Just a you know, it's it's Al John Brown runs over there again. He can grab well, and why bear. can't the cadets just get a Nerf cannon? My kids Budget, love them. Budgetary issues. Well, we were thinking that maybe they guard it with Nerf cannons. <gasps> Great point. Like with Nerf they guns. Just stand, stand, stand at ease. <laughs> but that's what we were thinking, too. That's You know what? See, you know, strong minds think alike, you guys. Uh, All right. You got to go get ready. Uh, I'm sure Jason's got to get waxed and prepped, so... Yeah, it's, thanks for the reminder. You bet. Get the tweezers out. We got six minutes. We got <laughs> Good luck with that, boys. Have a great show. Thanks, Manny. Knock them dead. See ya. That's funny. Boy, that's I forgot about that. He ran into the cannon. I didn't know the cannon's name was George Q. Cannon. So those that don't know, George Q. Cannon was a leader of the church, the LDS church, many, many moons ago. So I'm like, oh, what happened? He, there must be a descendant of George Q. Cannon and Algie Brown. They're getting in a fight. They dug up his grave. They dug up his grave. No. Here's a uh, here's a story for you that I wanted to make sure we get in there um, because it's, you know, it's critical. You may have heard um, uh, about Alicia and Elisa Kennedy. They're twins. And did you know that they were denied by the DMV their driver's permit because the camera could not tell one girl from the other? Cannot compute. Something is wrong here. We gave her the paperwork, but we didn't even get a chance to take the test because she kept saying something was wrong with the computer, said Alicia, who has a twin sister, Allison, and said the computer can't recognize faces, uh, especially when the faces are exactly the same. So, uh, by the way, that's a problem, right, with because you don't you want to give a what you want to give legal IDs out, but you don't want one person having three IDs. So apparently it's not programmed to detect twins. Lisa said that she took her picture several times and then had to sign her signature several more. They finally said that there was a problem and they had to call headquarters. The twins' mom, Wanda Kennedy, uh, said that, uh, you know, maybe we'll have to come back. Or 
Maybe just one of them is going to be able to drive. The reality is it doesn't matter. Just have one. And then if one gets a ticket, you're always innocent and free because it wasn't me. It was my sister. Yeah, and you can pass off the the driver's license. Yeah. I mean, you were doing that. Yeah. You were using someone else's driver's license when you were young to oh, yeah. get into adult activities, football game, or, you know, to sign contracts with people. And anyway, I didn't want to throw you under the bus, but it's out now. Um, hey, by the way, the most expensive divorce in history is now uh, underway. It's from a Russian billionaire. Check this out. Uh, <laughs> Elena Rebolovleva. Rib- is the ex-wife of the Russian billionaire Dmitry Rybolovlev and has uh, received a huge settlement. He's a Russian billionaire worth $11.8 billion. She has been the thorn in his side, they say, expected to take half of his money in a drawn-out divorce labeled the costliest breakup of all time. Uh, This couple, he is the 154th richest man in the world. She was there for the good times. She was there for the bad times including the 11 months that her husband was in jail, accused of murder, but the charges were later dropped. The love story includes two children, mansions around the world, Central Park apartments, Swiss uh, ski chalets. And in May 2014, the Swiss court awarded Elena over $5.7 billion of her husband's ex-fortune, which is great. She helped him accomplish that. She should get half. She should also get half of the death threats and other problems that her husband has created. Let's uh, wrap this up. One of the things we always like to do is end with a hero story. And our hero today is a paramedic on her way to her wedding. Okay. When Sarah Ray's father and grandparents were in a car crash on their way to their wedding reception, the off-duty Tennessee paramedic rushed to the scene in her wedding dress. My dad called my husband and said there's been an accident. Sarah Ray said all he told him was there had been a wreck. The car was totaled. We didn't know anything about the injuries. Ray found her grandmother in an ambulance with injuries from the airbag and the seatbelt that were serious enough to send her to the hospital, but not life-threatening. One of the first things she said to me was, uh, sorry, she ruined my wedding day, Ray said. Ray assured her grandmother that she had done no such thing. She walked back to the car in the drizzling rain, holding her wedding dress off the ground, Ambulance and fire truck behind her, Ray's mother snapped a photograph. The photo was posted to the Montgomery County government's Facebook page with the caption, How dedicated are you to your job? The caption briefly explains the circumstances of the photo and concludes, Thank you, Sarah, for loving what you do. Good job. So, Sarah Ray, you are the hero of the day, interrupting your nuptials and your beautiful gown. I'm sure your hair was done perfect to go take care of, uh, to do your job, A, but to more importantly, to go take care of the people you loved. Folks, that's a hero. We all are heroes to each other. It's not just to our families. It's to the rest of the people that we uh, drive on the roads with as well. That's the show. We want to help you see the good in the world. We can't do it without you. Join us again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools. You can also find us on LinkedIn or uh, TuneIn or iTunes or BYURadio.org. We're on all of those Uh, sites as well. We'll be back again tomorrow. More tools to help you find the good in the world. Until then, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.